You're listening to Music Mythology. My name is Sam Romo, and let's talk about some music. I just woke up. <laughs> so yeah, you're, you're, where, are you, where were you at last night? Uh, I was running sound. Okay. Uh, I'm supposed to be. It'll still get you, but... Where at? Where are you doing? Is this very formal? Are we supposed to do like a like? Russell. No, it's super casual. Okay, let's talk about really whatever we want. Uh, damn, did you record music. me talking all that shit about people? <laughs> that's terrible. I'm gonna get in trouble. Well, uh, not all of it. Let's yeah. be, that's up to me. Yeah. Well. <laughs> but no, you're. That's ready? okay. I hate most everybody. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> It's a great, great place to start. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so you said you were running sound. Yeah, I got, uh, I got divorced in October of 2020. I shut down my recording studio in May of 2020. Mm. Uh, most of my gigs were gone, anyways. Uh, my stepdaughter has uh, autoimmunity, so she's not my stepdaughter now technically, but I still consider. Her. And so we, I couldn't go out at all. Oh wow. So yeah. So and then when I got divorced. I moved to my sister's and her house caught on fire and I oh, put the no. fire out with my hands and then had really bad burns on my hands. And I had to go to Houston to recover because my parents live in Houston. So when I came back to Dallas, people were like calling me, hey, do you want a gig, do you want a gig? And I was like, no. <laughs> so it's like, and then I had no money and my friend, they needed a sound guy at the truck yard. And I hate running sound, but I was like, mm. okay, sure. So, and then I've just been doing that. I'm on, I'm on what I call a sabbatical but I think David Sinclair calls it a skill radical. So I'm like reading books on stuff that mm. I find interesting and taking guitar lessons again nice. with uh, Richard McClure. He's like one of the best guitar players in the world. And sometimes I take some lessons online with a guy named Danny Rabin. He's from a band named Marbin. Okay. Like a huge jazz band. They used to tour with Alan Holdsworth. Mm. He's like the greatest jazz guitarist ever. Mm. In some people's eyes, I think he's kind of weird. Yeah, I've heard of him. I haven't heard of them though. Yeah. Danny actually has all of Alan Holdsworth gear in his house because oh. Alan Holdsworth was a junkie. And right before he went on his last bender, before he died, he told Danny, he's like, hey, I'm just gonna leave all my stuff in your apartment, you know? And he's like, okay. And then he went and died. And Whoa. Danny just has, has, for 10 years, has had all of his stuff in his house. He's Whoa. like, uh, he's like, he's like, ask the family and they don't wanna, they don't even wanna pay for the shipping. He's like, okay, well, cause a lot of amps. So yeah. he's like, I just have, the greatest jazz guitarist ever lives amps in my house just sitting here doing nothing Whoa. <laughs> it's not like alan holdsworth particularly liked those amps because people would just give him amps and he would just play them he was like whatever yeah and just collect them as he's as he's going he would just sell them there's a story like because he was really good friends with eddie van halen at one point point. Okay. and eddie van halen he had alan holdsworth had sold all of his amps the rumor goes to like buy drugs or something mm. and so eddie van halen gave him a bunch of amps and then Eddie Van Halen goes over to his apartment like a week later and they're all gone. And he's like, oh, I sold them all. <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. So that's, that's why he left his amps at my friend Danny's house because he was like. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's sad, but yeah. Yeah, they're really cool. Danny and Danny are the two guys. Uh, Danny Markovitz and Danny Rabin. And they're both, they're Israeli, you mm. know, so they're really cool guys. Nice. So how, how long have you been doing that? Just for a few months, you said? Taking lessons? I mean, Danny basically gives free lessons on his Facebook every single day. He'll like live stream a lesson mm. that's just for oh, the wow. world. Nice. And then, but then I will occasionally send him money and he'll FaceTime me and be like, oh, hey. So 
what are you working on? He's like, wow, that sounds terrible. He's like, here's this. So nice. That's good. Wow. Dude, I think he's top five best guitarist in the world probably right now, in my opinion. What's his last name? Raven. Danny Raven. Yeah, the band's called Marvin. Mar- How do you spell it? M-A-R-B-I-N. It's a fusion of their two names, uh, Danny Markovitz and Danny Raven. So Markovitz and Raven make Marvin. Yeah, they play, so their band is like hardcore rock jazz fusion, uh-huh. but then they have this little duo project, which is still Marvin, that's just gypsy jazz, like Django Reinhardt. Hmm. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm a recording engineer. I keep bumping the table with this condenser. I'm like, blah. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, this is cool. Yeah, I'll check them out. Mostly, mostly avant-garde nerd jazz, but <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that's interesting. The covers are very unique. But yeah, and uh, yeah, and you got me into Collier, man. I'd never really listened to him. I'd heard of him because just a YouTube personality that I had seen at one right. point. But uh, yeah, and that Tiny Desk was awesome with his so good. Uh, what his one person? Quintet oh, not that one. Yeah, that but one's that, okay too. But I, did you see? Did you watch the one I sent oh, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that the that's the better one. Yeah. yeah. But it's like that. That one was. Uh, cool idea just because because i'm a videographer so just oh, thinking right. like yeah that's cool that he was because he just it, that's just another like uh proof of like his discipline of just like yeah he does most of that stuff i don't know that particular one what he used but like most of his video stuff he does is just an ipad oh wow you know and i movies nice yeah that's how he does all of that and yeah. it's like what i love is like he got famous with just an sm58 like all of his like viral videos that made him famous mm-hmm. he had one mic in an sm58 he did all of that Wow, just you know, one mic on different instruments. Yeah, he'd use and it on. Vocal. He'd use one mic on mono overhead on drums would be a fifty-eight. He'd then he'd do his voice, then he'd do it on upright bass, then he'd do it on the piano. Wow, that's like so. There's like a lot of us wait for like our technical limitations to improve. Yeah, or some kind like, of balance that. You just yeah, it's not premium enough. <laughs> yeah, it's like man, if I just had a better mic, if I just had a better guitar, that's like, yeah. I realized like. Is a really like I really like this compressor called a Fairchild. Mm. It's like the greatest compressor ever made. Like George R. Martin had a bunch of them. Mm. Like that's the sound of great recordings is a Fairchild compressor. You know, well one of the great sounds is a Fairchild. It's this compressor that uses all tubes. It's very heavy, very expensive. Mm. They go from anywhere from like forty-five thousand to eighty thousand, depending on the condition. Ooh. Yeah. So, um, and even the clones of them start at like ten thousand. Oh wow. So these are very expensive pieces of kit. And I was like, oh, I'll never make a great recording until I have a Fairchild. And I realized one day, I was like, the most expensive Fairchild is your brain. Mm. Because electronics are not that complicated. I was like, I could probably get a schematic and make one. Mm. You know, so I made a microphone, for a Telefunken 251. It's like the most expensive condenser mic ever made. They mm-hmm. sell for about 45,000. Um, so I made one and it cost me like $800, you know? Really? Yeah, because <laughs> you just get a wiring kit um, I got a guy named JJ Audio made the case that the circuit goes in. The okay. circuit was pre-wired from China, and then I just oh, okay. unsoldered like one of the little uh, uh, op amps and put a better one. And then I got a new old stock tube, and a Canadian guy made me the power supply. And then the best CK12 capsule. That's what the C12 is like a really great mic that's in the 251 and a C12. Um, the guy who makes the best CK because they don't make them anymore. Mm. Telefunken doesn't exist. It's mm. it's the name was bought by a company in West Virginia. So if you buy anything new that says Telefunken, it's like that's a Chinese mic. 
licensed by a guy in West Virginia. Uh, you know, it's not it's not Telefunken who made the Nazis mics. You know, it's like just an American dude who bought the name. So. Uh, but a CK12 capsule, you can't get anymore in a real one. So the guy who makes the best one is named Tim Campbell. So I messaged him and I was like, how much are your capsules? He's like $400. And I was like, for the great, because if you had a real 251 and the capsule broke, mm-hmm. you'd have to get a new one from somebody who makes them. Uh, you would go to Tim Campbell. I see. So then I put that capsule in it. So it's like, this is literally what's inside of a $45,000 mic in most studios, but it cost me $800. And so I realized intelligence is the biggest saver of money. You know, like yeah. if you just, like I have friends that do podcasts and they rent out studio spaces for like 400 a week. And I'm mm. like, oh my God, like, why don't you just buy some Owens Corning or rock wool, wrap it in burlap and put it on your walls, you know, and get better mics mm. and like learn how to use a gate, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, and they're like, no, I'll just keep paying this guy. It's like, okay. Yeah. Throw money at a problem. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean like this show, it's, it's all me. Like the, like, cause we're doing video episodes. And so I'm mean, at the, you know, edit all that myself. I oh, mean, shit, are we getting filmed, too? I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Glad I showered. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, and, like, the website, and, I mean, I, I, my normal job, I'm a science salesperson. Um, I've worked for Fast Science for the last, like, six years, uh, right out of college. But, uh, so, like, all the graphics and, and business cards, and, like, I'm making, like, physical posters just in the venues and record stores and stuff Music like that. Music mythology. Yes, sir. I like that. Oh, yeah. It's it's starting, man. Why do you say mythology? Because uh, we review I, I review albums too, so we'll we'll dissect uh, like what what was the last album we did? Well, I guess the last one was a new album, but like the last uh, episode seventeen, we we went down uh, uh, Delta Cream by Black Keys, their new oh, album. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, me and my buddy Ben, we just went track by track and just talked about the background behind each out al- or. Did they do that in uh, Dan Auerbach's home studio that he built? No, they actually did it. um, Damn it. I'm forgetting what it's called. I can see it. It's a it's a buddy of his. It was a small it was a small old outfit. Um, And then they they did a they did a little live version of or they streamed like four of the songs in that little space. It looks like an old 50s kind of like cafe looking area. I forget where it is, man. Oh, interesting. But I think it is. In, it's in Nashville, but I don't think. You sure it's not? Is Dan like a partner in that studio or no? I don't think so. I'm because sure. Dan's last solo album, because speaking of like Austin Jenkins and like the Nile Sound thing, mm. they got those Alltech tube consoles. They were mm. really like uh, the original tube consoles for recording were not for recording. They were like PA systems for like a high school cafeteria, you know? So they're like just four channels of tubes mm. in mono, you uh-huh. know? Yeah. And then, so you'd wire, Sam Phillips wired two of them together so you could do four channels of stereo or eight channels of mono, you know? Mm. So Dan literally has that setup, you know? Oh, really? Which is the sound of like coming home is like an old tech board, you know? Right, yeah. They're really cheap. I mean, they're not cheap, like maybe $3,000, but for like a console that like, it's the same exact one Elvis used, you know, it's like, it's pretty cheap, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'd have to look into that because I I thought he didn't do it in his studio. You're probably right. I mean, I, I their last the Blackies last album I haven't really paid attention to. Yeah, I like well, Dan Auerbach's solo stuff he did recently though. Yeah. Oh yeah. That both of his solo albums are really good. Um, and I like his uh, his little, little Nashville label he has the Easy Eye Sound. Yeah. There's there's some some people I I don't know they're they're all right, but some of those people have been really cool. But the this that album was really awesome. Like just the the selection they made and and I was really 
impressed honestly with how much background was behind the music than i don't know i was kind of expecting because there's a cool delta blues catalog i mean that's all right. those were but i don't know because I mean, that's what's funny i mean that's why i like breaking down albums because do you ever feel like white people playing blues is like because i'm a blues player uh-huh. is like just a modern extension of minstrelsy <laughs> what do you mean well because it was like the most popular form of entertainment in the late 1800s to the early 1900s was the minstrel show, mm. which is because white people wanted to consume black culture because it was so interesting, but mm. they couldn't do it like formally or like respectfully because black people were still looked down upon. Mm. So a white guy had to like paint his skin black and do blackface and then he could pretend to be black and it was okay because he was, mm. he was just making fun of them. He's not respecting them. But deep down, white people are like, I kind of like that music. I kind of like that culture, uh, you know? And so it's like, and that becomes like, that's the predecessor to like television is like minstrelsy, right? Hmm. So it's like, white guys playing the blues is like just more of the same. You know, it's like, here's like this really interesting, intricate, romantic facet of like, you know. Expression. of Yeah, of African-Americans, you know, going through reconstruction and the civil rights. And then white people do it and like, oh, now it's ours, you know? Yeah. Like I have friends that are so stupid. They think that like white people invented the blues. Uh-huh. I'll be like, what music do we have that's ours? You know, and people are like, hillbilly music. I'm like, that's Appalachian. The banjo comes from West Africa. You know, it's like, <laughs> they're like, what? <laughs> well, yeah. My granddaddy didn't invent that. I'm like, no, man. <laughs> well, what about two-stepping? That's a slave dance. Oh, wow, you know? really? You know that? Yeah, yeah so they that. taught, the reason Americans all two-step, or Southerners especially, two-stepping was a slave dance, like the cakewalk or all these things, right? And so the way the slaves would strut and stuff, like the master would give them a cake at the end, whoever did it the best. And so two-stepping was a slave dance also. And so the masters and like their family started adopting it. They're like, this is fun, you know, those, mm. those guys have a good idea out there. And so by the middle of the 1900s, people had forgotten its origins. So there was a, uh, like a Southern politician, like congressman who demanded like Southern schools teach all kids. I'm spitting on your mic, God damn it. So we got the filter. <laughs> he demanded all kids be taught how to like line dance and two-step in mm. high school as part of the curriculum, right? Uh-huh. Because he was trying to uh, fight against the, uh, the, the blackening of the American culture through the horrific sexualization of the youth through jazz and rock, you know? So mm. it was like, so you're trying to get people away from black culture by teaching them to do a black dance from, you know, a hundred years before, you know, huh. it's just hilarious to me. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I still play blues for a living, so it's not like I'm above <laughs> any of this. Well, I just think you appreciate it for what it, yeah. for what it can be. Cause I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a mutual appreciation, especially when it comes to music and music forms and subgenres and stuff like that. I just feel like if it, if it, clicks with you if it jives with you it makes you i don't know alive and you respect it right you know and like i mean obviously it's like you're very aware of the roots you know and and aware of the history behind it i mean that's that's where you're not in a league of like just people that are you know dabbing their toe in it and saying they know everything about it and saying well tourists yeah yeah yeah, exactly it's like you 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 like the awareness it's like you you like to have the in-depth awareness because you want to make sure it's actually being respected and how it originated or what, yeah. it, or what it is. You well, like, it's like, I'm like never reality. going to be a black man who was a slave who's now in the farm to prison system during reconstruction, right? Mm. It's like, and so I'm not gonna replicate that experience being a white middle-class person in America in the 21st century. Like there's no way for me to like 
I can't method sure. acted my way into that headspace. It's just sure. impossible to do, but I can empathize, you know? And so like, I'm not, as long as you're not a sociopath, you can feel empathy for people. Yeah. And it's like, so there has to be like this great sense of empathy, first of all, to do it well. But then the other thing is like, it's also then like, like method acting, I can take my own experience that like, it's not gonna be one-to-one, right? It's not like a one-to-one analog, like, oh, well, you know, my tire busted on the highway today or I got divorced. Like, that's just like being a slave, man. You know, it's like, that's a ridiculous analogy, right? right? So it's like, but you can trans, it's like basically like, like the, last night, literally, there was this band that struck her called Squeezebox Bandits. So mm-hmm. they're a Tejano band that plays Texas country. Uh-huh. So, and there's like, three Mexican guys and a white guy in the band, you know? And I was like, yeah. I was like, this is American music to me. I was like, this Mm -hmm. is like gumbo. This is like Cajun food. This is like Tex-Mex. This is like, this is what it's about. Because like I have some, sorry, I keep bumping this. I have some friends that are like, oh, you know, white guys with the elote stands and like all this stuff. And it's like, man, you know, it's like, where the fuck did Mexicans get accordions and and German lagers, you know? (laughs) It's like, where's what's a tortilla, you know? A tortilla is non, you know, it's like, it, it like, the Spaniards were conquered by the Moors, right? And they brought flatbreads to the Spaniards. So mm-hmm. then the Spaniards conquer the Aztecs and the Incas and the Mayas, right? And they bring flatbreads, you know? And it's like, and then the German Catholics who come to the United States in the 1800s, there's so many Protestants in the United States, they're really mean to Catholics. And then Santa Ana is like, hey, come to Texas, come to Mexico. Like, we like Catholics, we're Catholic. Mm-hmm. And the Germans are like, hell yeah. So they all flood into Mexico and Texas and bring accordions, polka, and lager, you know? Mm-hmm. And the Mexicans are like, this is our culture. I'm like, actually, it's like the worst part of German culture. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, yeah, but it's nuts. I mean, it's just. But it's all fine, you blending. know? It's like, I, I, cultural appropriation, it's like, that's just nonsense. It's like, I could see there's some aspect like if I put on like like a dashiki and like got dreads and put on blackface. Yeah, that's clearly yeah, right. fucked yeah. up. But it's like, but like people want to like take like these very subtle things. Like, well, you're a white guy playing the blues, and it's like, yeah. I mean, it is kind of fucked. I mean, I could I could give them a little bit on that, but it's like I just don't feel like it's such a bad a big deal. It's like because yeah, no. in the grand course of history, people aren't going to look back on the. 20th century music and be like, well, Benny Goodman sure sucked at clarinet because he wasn't black. You know, it's like, they're going to be like, no, right. or whoever, you know, Steve Ray Vaughan was bad at guitar because he wasn't black. It's like, nobody's going to say right. that because yeah. nobody's going to look at like that era of history with a thousand years from now, like lens yeah. and think that they're not going to have all these emotional political issues that we have. Right. Like if you read about how much like the Protestants really hated the Catholics in Germany during the Reformation, mm. you don't feel like, yeah, you don't you're not ta- you're not going to take a side right you know because you can be objective because you're not a part of that history so it's right. like it's fun to like look at like our present circumstances and just try to see it like as if you were an alien right like yeah. oh look at them still fighting over such things you know like yeah it's realized the much grander scheme and things there's like i think it's awesome that these cultures are blending and people get a chance to experience each other's food and music and right. you know, yeah that's what I mean yeah and I'm not trying to sound all uh, stereotypical or simple or whatever but it's like that's what America is supposed to be about it's right. this great melting pot of, of cultures and, and traditions and I don't know just, just things that make 
uh, uh, past groups what they were and the future groups that we don't know what they're going to be into someday what they might be. Like, you just don't right. know what's going to happen. Who Who's going to like, I mean, like we can just stick with music and we could talk about that all day about how uh, a certain musician went to a different country and then heard a certain sound. I mean, like McCartney. McCartney is like huge for that, for going right. to another culture and realizing like, oh, that's that's, that's cool crazy. too. Yeah. yeah. Or like, that, that that time signature is crazy or like what is that instrument or like what well, it's is like take like, like reggae it's like mm. we probably wouldn't know about reggae if it wasn't for Eric Clapton mm. you know because he discovers Bob Marley and then he covers I Shot the Sher- Sheriff and yeah. then it becomes like a number one hit and then everybody's like what kind of music is this and the Clapton in the interview is like it's reggae I'm covering Bob Marley you know and then everybody goes and finds out about Bob, Bob Marley mm. you know so it's like you may not have whole subsection you'd probably still have hip-hop but you wouldn't have it wouldn't be the same thing it was if it wasn't for like the prevalence of reggae you know mm, right so it's like just whole things and it's like so every everybody can be a link in like a much bigger chain and sorry there's these people down here doing like a music video and <laughs> they're like in full african garb speaking of but yeah, uh, I just kind of want to go down there and be like, "What are you guys doing? <laughs> you want to be on our show?" <laughs> oh wow, yeah, they got a full camera crew and everything. Anyways, I want to go out there and be like a Karen. Be like, Do you have a permit? <laughs> I'm like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we don't even have one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, dude, I, I, or like, I like to think of. Um, more general like uh not genres but labels of music and thinking like how just 50 years ago is like not you wouldn't consider that the same thing like nowadays like a modern pop song it's like you're expecting uh um auto tune you're expecting first chorus yeah yeah uh, uh, first chorus bridge same kind of simple time signature four over four but then but then you go into like the 50s or like go like 60s 70s and like some people were saying like you know hendrix was pop you know, and 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 because like there's there's like playlists. I mean, we've talked about that. Like, Hendrix like, is pop. Yeah, I know, but it's know, like, yeah. but there's there's like in that time he was much more pop. But there's like there's parts. He's like top forties, nineteen sixty eight. Yeah, yeah you know? exactly. But like, like, but his genre, it's like not that wouldn't match what you think pop is today. You know, it's just yeah. I mean, pop just means popular. It's like if if you heard if you really compared like the Backstreet Boys to like some of the pop right now and you just showed people who didn't have like hadn't been through the 90s and 2000s yeah. they'd be like those aren't the same yeah you know yeah to us they are because it all sounds like shit we don't like you know <laughs> but it's like but yeah but it's just but it's just crazy like i don't know this is you know this is a funny observation so sometimes i'll be playing like these parties with like old rich white people you know mm. and so i know a lot of like hendrix and some beatles and stuff and some clapton and so i'll start playing that stuff and they're like and sometimes they're like ugh. And then I realized, just because you're old doesn't mean you like pop music when you're a teenager. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? They're like, oh, that's the shit I hated when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like or the cool kids weren't into that, you know? <laughs> right, or or the the edgy kids were into that. Yeah. In our community, that was looked down upon if you got, right. if you were super into the blues or super into the Beatles. You know, cause right. I mean, like in my family, like, like my grandparents thought the Beatles were like, evil <laughs> right right it's like anything after like 64 like anything they did there it's like now yeah, it's it's drug music yeah but, i think that's something too i think it was disney that probably caused this divide because pop music used to always be risky right like elvis was very risky like elvis was seen as like marilyn manson was like to us you know and it's like or to me hips. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and it's like i mean 
and jazz was seen that way too like it was like yeah. corrupting the youth and yeah. it's like and that was pop music was the most like would be like now what you would consider like really i don't know what's something that's really offensive and scary but also i mean i, I do like like the uh what's her name the wop chick what's her name Cardi oh, B, Cardi B huh? and Billie Eilish. I like that aspect where like they're bringing like things that are wrong, like like things not wrong. Well, they are wrong, but they're basically making pop music edgy again. You know, mm. pop music was lame. Like the Backstreet Boys and like In Sync, like that's like the lamest shit ever. Like our pop and Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera. It's like there was nothing edgy or cool about that. Mm. Like there was just like. It was just bad, you know? Like, it was like a corporation hired like 500 songwriters to come in a room and they all wrote, wrote 10 songs. And then they like rock, paper, scissors, who got to go to the front. And then like, and then an executive who was like 80 was like, I like that one, you know? And then it was like, and then they bring it in front of these kids who were like perfect pitch, like song singing geniuses. Mm. They're like, sing this part. You know, and yeah, then if, and if they get a little off pitch, they just like take them in the back and beat them. They're like, oh, come here, sing it again. They're like, okay. Yeah. Hyper. And it's like, and that was, and then they like dressed them up in like the weirdest clothes in that era, you know? I guess oh, it's yeah. coming back around, like all these Gen Z's are dressing 90s, but like it's really terrible. And like bleach your hair blonde and spike it up because punk rock's mainstream now, man. You know, <laughs> like Sid Vicious did that in like 1979. And then it like finally it makes its way to the mainstream in like 1998. And it's like, and that's what we were just getting like, like inundated with when we were kids, you know, like MTV and the radio. And it was like, this sucked. Hmm. Yeah. That, that, uh, curation. Like what yeah. I used to think the eighties were really bad, but then I really oh, started yeah. thinking about like the late nineties, early two thousands. I'm like, no, that was the worst. Oh yeah. Like Creed and Nickelback and <laughs> Puddle of Mud and the boy bands and the girl singers and all it's just like it was really really bad i feel like there was extremes there's like the people that won the gritty simple approach of just like skin there mess it up and just right. be who you are and we'll get it on tape and then you had the more corporate formulaic like approach right where you would think that things were like what you said there's like 10 writers in a room there's right. like all these I don't know. It's just formula. It's like if they didn't do that, they got it. I mean, it was all expected. It was just you, you had to fit the bill. Otherwise, you're out. You're not on the team. There's no like band of people. Well, they had they had the uh, they could move the goalposts where they wanted back then. You know? Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's OK. <laughs> Where's your permit? <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, they can move the goalposts where they wanted because they controlled the Madison Avenue marketing teams. They controlled the radio. They controlled MTV. Right, yeah. Like my favorite part about the new era of music is that the artist has complete control. They right. really do. I mean, if you want to, if you don't want to, you don't have to either. Sure. But yeah. it's like you can literally control your image, your audience, who you talk to, how you present yourself. And before I, the artists didn't have a direct way to communicate with their fans. Mm. Right. There was not this one to one correspondence right. between artists and fan base. It was like yeah, you, you had to go through these out. filters of images and things that were completely controlled by corporations. Yeah. Now it's like you can just talk to a fan directly, yeah. you know, and it's like it's that's totally. like unprecedented. So it's like it's like scary. And I think that's why, like, it seems like the music industry is like doing bad. But there's more money in the music industry right now as a collective unit than there was. There's like five times as much as there was 20 years ago. Right. It's just like how it's getting. uh 
broken up and distributed is totally different. And yeah. so people who, you know, it's hard for like musicians now, like so many of my friends are still waiting on like a record deal and stuff. And it's like, that's hilarious. You know, right. it's like Leon Bridges' record deal, I think was just a few hundred thousand dollars or maybe even less mm. because record deals aren't, all the record deal is a loan. It's a loan to go record, right? Right. And it's like, well, recording, you don't need to spend much money to really record, you right. know? Like, Especially if you're just trying to get a demo or, or get get your thought on a track. Oh you know, yeah, that you can do now, you know, with your cell phone. Yeah. Cell phones, a pretty, if you go to a quiet space in your closet, you can get a pretty good sound in your cell phone mic. It's a little condenser mic. Yeah. And so it's like, it's not, it's not terrible. So yeah. yeah, agreed. But I think it's now there's, there's a real capacity for people to record cheaply at a high level. Mm -hmm. um, even if you outsource the tracking or the mixing or the mastering to somebody a little more intelligent than you on that subject, it's like, it's still not that expensive. Right. And it's like, so what do you really re need a record deal for? It's like, you don't need them to record. So um, that's why everything now is like, what's called a 360 deal. We're like Billie Eilish and Phineas or like Macklemore is, is the first guy who really was like, the record label comes, he's already got like, you know, 800 million streams. He's already a multimillionaire from his revenue mm. and he's self-released. You know, so it's like when he gets a record deal, they're like, well, we, and they, I think it was Warner Brothers came first or it was either Sony or Warner Brothers. I might, I might have these parts of the story backwards, but this is what happened. One of these record labels, Sony or Warner Brothers came to him with like the old style, like what you call like the plantation record deal, you know? And he's like, no, thanks. Like, why would I give you guys all my money for the product I've already released and I'm already collecting revenue on? Like that, this is the stupidest deal of my life. Yeah. But then he thought about it. He's like, but I don't really know how to plan a tour. I don't know how to do these kind of logistics. I don't. So he took an opposite approach. It's called a 360. Before artists kept usually all their touring revenue, mm -hmm. they would hire a management company and all this stuff, and then they would keep all the touring revenue. And then the record label would keep 99.99999% of all recording royalties, yeah. right? Yeah. Now it's the other way. The artists, you can have all your recording royalties, you know, because we want your touring now. Because we don't mm. need, because most artists don't need the record label to record. Right. Phineas and Billie Eilish don't need whatever uh, Geffen or whatever they're on. I don't know what they're on Sony or something. But it's like they yeah. don't need, uh, they don't need those entities to help them produce a product. Right. Yeah. Because they've. Been she has her own Instagram. She can take her own pictures. Right. You know. So it's like, why would she need? What do they need you guys for? Yeah. Especially you know? when you already have a, such a large base. You have such a large base that as soon as you But does she stream, know does she really know about like lighting on like a stadium? You know, it's like no. Oh, right. You see what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. So it's like oh, for sure. the record label will come in and be like, We'll do all that part for you. This is a three sixty deal. It's flipped around. So now the record label doesn't even deal in recording. It's right. like it's just that name is just a hangover from a past era. It's like they have nothing some record labels do, but most record labels aren't dealing with recording at all they don't studios like you figure that out on your own mm. it's like it's engineers yeah it's touring yeah it's touring and like getting you on like ellen you know mm, yeah the press stuff yeah but if you're already famous on your own it's like you can probably make the right phone call yourself you know right so yeah is even that necessary yeah or it's like uh, your own personal idea of what what fame or success is it's like i don't need to go on ellen i'm fine being right here <laughs> yeah right but if I'm you had the opportunity i mean oh for why sure. not yeah so yeah. yeah i mean i'm into that too it's like i gave up on like this need for like social acceptance via the lens of music a long time ago mm. i think it starts that way like in its infancy but like now it's just a lifestyle like i mean i live music every day it's like mm. it's like 
someone said, because I'm an atheist, you know, they were like, well, what's your religion? I was like, if I had a religion, it would be music. You know, I was mm. hanging out with uh, R.C. Williams, Tehran Lockett, Sean Martin, and uh, Braylon Lacey. Do you know those guys? Mm-mm. That's Erica Badu's band, oh, you know? Okay. Sean Martin's and Snarky Puppy. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. and Tehran Lockett was like Prince's last drummer, you know, and all this shit. So it's like, and they do a jam every Wednesday night at three leaks at oh, uh, wow. 10 o'clock. So if you want to go yeah. hang out with those guys and you can play with them, you just get on stage and play. They're, oh, they're real nice. Yeah, so, uh, but I'm like sitting and talking with them and I've known them a while and it's like, yeah, I was like, if music is a religion, I was like, you guys are like, it's prophets, you know, like you guys are like, it's apostles, you know, yeah. and it's like, because those guys are really the center or part of the center piece of like the newest things that are happening in music, like the newest, like Jacob Collier is like obsessed with those kinds of people, you know, mm. like he looks up to like Chris Dave and the guy I was one of the guys there the other night was Frank Mocha. That's Chris Dave's hand drum player, you know, mm. you know, Chris Dave, No. Robert Glasper. Yeah, Robert Glasper is like probably one of the biggest things in jazz. You know, he's like a fusion of like neo soul, hip hop, gospel, mm. and like old school traditional jazz fusion and like straight ahead. And his drummer is Chris Dave. Like that thing that Collier's really into. Well, Collier's into a lot of stuff. So yeah. one of the things Jacob Collier's really into is what we would call like off grid playing. So like if you have like boot, gat, boot, gat, right? That's just a straight 4 4 beat, right? Mm-hmm. Boot, gat. But you can be like, boo, boo, cat, boo, Oh, yeah. And so there's different ways to approximate that. Like, you could do like a flam, boo, da, boo, da, you know, like a flam's like, cra, cra. Yeah. And just take the first part off. Boo, da, boo, ah. And like, yeah. so two and four is behind. You could move the kick drum. It could be like, a boo, da, a boo, yeah. And so that makes the snare sound like it's a head. Um, or you can move the hi hat. So if the hi hat's, that's a grid of eight right it's on a 16th note grid right so you could move it into like a grid of five one two three four five one two three four five one two three and then play on one and four so like one right or you could do it like on seven one two five seven one two funny thing is there's not like when you count 16th notes right you can go one e and a two e and a right yeah there's not really a good syllabic system for five or seven some people say hippopotamus problem with yeah. hippopotamus for five is that too many of the syllables sound the same so i say like geometrical anything al philosophical uh mm. ontological psychological all of those are five syllable words yeah. you know that you're kind of familiar with philosophical philosophical yeah so yeah. it's like just making sure but then i looked up seven uh, syllable words and the uh-huh. first word so I don't know what people are looking at on Google but the first word Google brought up was necrobestiality and so like you know <laughs> fucking, fucking dead animals right so it's like so it just like uh, it just stuck yeah, so I was like I was playing with my drummer the other day I was at CVS getting the vaccine he went with me and uh, we're in line he's like how are you feeling seven so well and I was like oh necrobestiality 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 <laughs> so we're like so we're in line with like 50 people at CVS and we're just both like necrobestiality, necrobestiality, you know what I mean? Like, it's stuck apparently. Well, cause, okay, so on ne, right? There's the uh, downbeat and al, al, ality, right? Make that the snare. So necrobestiality, necrobestiality, boom, And there's like a neo soul groove, right? So it's like people, 
so people think that like like the triplet, right? Right? That was so that's just like people would call that a waltz in the 1800s. Boom clack clap, boom clack clap, boom clack clap, boom clack clap, right? You know, like like old school white people dancing, right? So like African Americans take that and they tie the first two triplets together. So instead of boom clack clap, boom, it's boom clack boom clack boom clack boom 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 and that's a shuffle. Dum dum gun dum 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 ga. Dum, dum. There's that you know that's blues. Yeah. So all we're doing is so that's on a grid of three. Take it on a grid of five and play here and here. One two three four five. I'm playing on my thumb and my ring finger. Uh-huh. Oh, I guess I can see. Play here and here, right? Do it on a grid of seven. Play here and here, right? Play the hi hat here and here. Mm. So it's a t t It's Right? Mm. Or one of the advice of necropistiality. Necropistiality. <laughs> you know, it's like, so those guys are doing that all the time, you know? And it's like, you hear it, like, not to be like too racial about it, but like white people will show up and like try to play with them. And it's like, you don't understand. Because it is 4 4. Like, it sounds like, it just sounds like, but it sounds like it's drunk. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. it sounds like well, they call yeah. it slugging or like the drunk groove or the, it's right. the Jay Dilla thing because yeah. Jay Dilla took his like drum machine off quantize and just started like playing by feel, you know? And so instead of like these, like hip hop before Jay Dilla was very like, you'd make a pattern on a 16th note sequencer on a drum machine. Yeah. And then you'd quantize. And so everything would just go straight into a line, you know? Mm. And so it's like hip hop, the hippity hop, the hip dip, the hip, you know. And there was the new Jack swing where they put a triplet six, you know, and then they just make that a swing. Right. And it's like, and then if you go back, like new Jack swing is really not that new because it's like that's like listen to Hey Joe, listen to Hendrix, listen to listen to the rock bands of the '60s because they were just hearing bebop at halftime you know like mm, it, like yeah. you know the tune hey joe yeah so it's like you really realize that it's a bebop at halftime when he goes boom doom 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 so really if you heard it at double time it's that's where the 16th note is but you could think of that as an eighth note hey joe yeah we go that gun in your head yeah. But we hear it. Yeah. We hear it at halftime. Yeah. That's why yeah. white dudes can't play that tune, you know? Because, like, that intro is all swung. Green, ding, 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 gacko. Dunk, 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 You know? But white guys are like, ti, ti, crap, ti, 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 crap. And it's like, no. Like, yeah. Yeah, but no, yeah, that drunken style, it's a, it's a, it's a you have to be a master of knowing your time and knowing what Yo, you have to, at. yeah, I think that's the thing too, is like a lot of young musicians in general, but I would say people who come from a less rhythmic vocabulary, they hear time is like, like an orchard, like trees perfectly lined up. And I got to be right on the time. It's like, but groove, groove is really a forest, you know, mm. it's like mini trees overlapping one another. Mm. It's like, but if you can't see the orchard to begin with, you can't conceptualize the forest. You know, you have to see things in a grid in order to play around it. You know, mm. and it's like, but to some people, 
like you know like if you grew up in Duncanville you grew up in Duncanville mm-hmm. yeah so you know like every day in class you know like and the guy like one of the five one of the five one of the guys like you know and it's like yeah. it is like whoa what's that about that's yeah. not the Beatles <laughs> you know <laughs> well it's kind of interesting that you say the Beatles cuz I was just going to bring up how uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it was Rolling Stone or who, but they did like a drummer series where they would highlight a drummer, and then like all these other reputable drummers would be interviewed about them and how they impacted them. Yeah. And they did one on Ringo, and uh, and Questlove was like they interviewed him like three times. Um, yeah. For for Ringo, it's only like a five minute little clip, but he talks about that, and he talks about that. That's what really attracted him to to Ringo's style was that it was this like weird like. There, like there's times where it was very simple, very mm. super simple. There's other times where it was just it was yeah, it felt drunk. It felt like he was gonna be off, but he wasn't. Right. And and that just really lured him in because he's like, what is that? Like it's just such an interesting thing. Yeah, I have mixed feelings on Ringo because have you watched that? Uh, there's a newer George R. R. Martin documentary on Netflix made by George R. R. Martin's son. Oh really, Giles? Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen. Yeah. That. Um, I think it's on Netflix. I could. It's on a streaming platform. Uh, yeah, so it's all these interviews with George R. R. Martin, Paul McCartney and stuff before George R. R. Martin passed. And you really realize like how much mythology is around the Beatles that's just complete fabricated bullshit. Mm. Like, oh, the Beatles went into the control room and they were mixing and doing all this stuff. They didn't know they weren't. <laughs> they don't know how a fucking LA 2A works. They don't even know what LA 2A is. They don't know how Pultec works. They don't know how, they don't know what frequencies are good or bad. They don't mm. know what compression ratios. They don't know anything. Yeah. The Beatles entered through the servants entrance. They weren't allowed through the front of the building at Abbey Roads. The engineers came in through the front of the building in lab coats. And the musicians yeah. were never allowed behind the glass for any reason. If they were back, they'd yeah. be like, get the fuck out of here. This stuff's way too expensive, you little <laughs> idiot kid. Go play your three-chord rock music, dum-dum. You know, so it was like, and they're like, oh, okay, yes, sir. You know, and so it's like, there was all these promo shots of like John and like Paul in the studio turning the board. And so Paul's there with George. George R. R. Martin looking at these pictures and he's just laughing. He's like, people thought we actually went in there. He's like, this was just for a magazine shoot. And he's like, oh, like wow. and he's like, I'm he's like, look at my face. He's like, I look super serious. Like I know what I'm doing. He's like, I don't even know what I'm touching. <laughs> you know? Wow. And it's like they didn't know. Like people have this again, like I was saying earlier, like this mythology, like your musicians also knew about tone and also knew about microphones. And like they didn't know anything. Yeah, or how to They kind of knew how to play blues. You know, like that's about it. Mm. You know, and they could sing like four-part barbershop harmony a little bit you know yeah. and it's like and then they had a guy like george r martin who's like a scientist slash arranger composer yeah. they're fixing everything and like no do this and so all the time they talk about ringo and it's like i've dealt with drummers like this a lot there's this whole scene on ringo and george is like oh ringo ha 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 and uh paul's like ah oh, ringo 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 and he's like well he's like you know he's like Sometimes he's ahead, sometimes he's behind, you know, he's never right, you know? And then like Ringo, they go to Ringo and he's like, yeah, I, I do what's called behind the beat, behind the beat. And I was like, no, that's what you tell yourself. I was like, you're a bad drummer. <laughs> you're a bad drummer. You know, you're not a good drummer. And so all the time what they do with Ringo, he's, he couldn't hit, hit something and they were running out of time. So they'd send Ringo to go get like coffee or like go get a sandwich, Ringo. And they would call like a musician from across the hall at Abbey Roads, like a session drummer, come in and they would do his whole part for him, uh, right? <laughs> And then give him like, here's, here's a thousand bucks. Get the fuck out of here, right? You know, or a thousand pounds. And then he would go back across and then Ringo would come back in and George R. Martin would be like, hey, we edited some of your takes together. <laughs> and Ringo would be like, oh, right, yeah, yeah, fucking great, yeah. Because they had to protect his ego, you know? Wow. <laughs> like Quincy Jones talks about that. Because, uh, you know, was that, what's that song Ringo did? Like solo album stuff? Quincy Jones produced that. 
And so he talked about working with Ringo on the exact same thing. And Ringo had this big ego, would get upset and yell at people when he mm. was sucking and like blame the engineers when he just couldn't play. Well, cause like I know that he, he his first album, uh, which I think is just called Ringo, uh, Harrison wrote two songs on their photograph and it don't come easy, which right. it don't come easy. That's a great song. Uh, but, uh, and photograph was stuck in your head if you listen to it. Right. But, uh, I don't think he plays drums on either of those. I don't think he yeah. plays drums on most of his own album. I know that mistaken. Quincy Jones interview that was re- like went viral or whatever because all the shit he talked, you know, but uh, he talked shit about Ringo in it. Have you read that? Uh-huh. that oh, he says some whack shit in it. But um, <laughs> stuff about Ringo, I believe from watching the George R. Martin stuff, he's like when he was producing that record with Ringo, same thing. They'd have to tell Ringo to leave and they'd get a drummer from across the hall or yeah. sometimes one of the because Quincy Jones is a great musician sometimes Quincy Jones just go in and lay it down real quick you know it's just 4-4 rock group dude just yeah. play it you know huh. and it's like well, I wonder if some of that came out of you know them being so burnt out on touring and just lack of practice because I mean they were all none of it they started I mean it's not caring. like Ringo started off as like as like world renowned yeah genre, he yeah. wasn't like Art Tatum you know or uh, Buddy Rich it's like he yeah. was like an 18 year old kid who could kind of play skiffle music you know and it's like kind I mean, of it's like I don't know I, I just also feel like because like their mentality at the time for the last like second half of their career right. it's like McCartney was the only one that was super into keeping them together right yeah going. well and it's like uh, they had their own versions of auto tuning even in the 60s you know what do you mean well, you call a session guy in who's worked for hire to fill in for Ringo and you don't tell Ringo about it oh, I you know what I mean yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like and then he goes like, "No, I played that." And it's like you remember? Oh, really? Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but that's yeah, that's that's crazy though. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's great to know about because it like I've been in the stu- man. Like, have you seen that movie, uh, Ma Rainey's Big Bottom? No. So it's like ba- it's a play. It's like a it's basically like a modern like critique on race relations Hmm. via the lens of like 1930s record industry and how it just completely like exploited black people right Hmm. and so it's about one recording session Ma Rainey does and like the whole thing just devolves into chaos like one of the musicians stabs one of the other musicians and another musician's like having sex with like a girl on a piano in the other room who's actually like having sex with Ma Rainey and like they're beating each other up and then meanwhile these like Jewish record producers are like ripping them all off and stealing all their money and like and that's the end of the movie you know and it's like holy shit you know and it's like but I was like yeah it seems like a regular recording session you know it's like (laughs) like it's like every recording session I've done has been like that it's chaos yeah it's absolutely because there's always like so there's always one or two people, usually one, who's not prepared. Mm. They think that like music is like, one, their mom told them they were good at it. So they think that's like a valid critique or judgment of like their ability. Mm. And they're like, well, my mom says I'm good at it. I was like, well, your mom isn't here, is she? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you ain't playing for Mommy. mama. <laughs> you ain't playing for mama today. Yeah. <laughs> but you get, I mean, dude, I get in sessions like that all the time and it's like, like people when they finally hear their voice through headphones playing back to them and they hear how bad it is and they're mm. like i sound like that i'm like, like yeah <laughs> yeah you're super pitchy you've always sounded like that <laughs> they're like i'm just having a bad day i'm like no this is it's one of your better days actually do you, do you, <laughs> you know listen to yourself back or do you just sing out loud <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. so it's like you learn 
I don't know. So there's always somebody who's a little bit unprepared. Yeah. And then they're going to be, they may not be the one who has the emotional problems, right? There's always going to be one or two because you're a musician. There's always going to be one or two emotionally unstable people. Mm. So one person won't be able to handle the lack of preparedness of the one person. Or it's the worst is when it's combined into the same entity mm. where like the person with the biggest ego and the most mental trouble is also the least prepared. And it's like that happens in every session. You know, I have found as a producer, I can just bypass. It's probably what George R. Martin discovered too. You just do it all in pre-production. So I go with the main dude, the main songwriter, the front man, whatever. The main person who was like the creator of, in the band, because not always the front person is the creator. Sure, you know? yeah. Um, you go sit with that person and you learn all their music with them. Mm. Like every song you learn it and you make a chart, like a musician's chart, like a rhythm sheet, right? If you can, notate the melody too. Um, then you do what I call, it's like a song map. You just start talking, like what should happen in the song? You know, you, f you find uh, reference recordings. This song kind of sounds like this song, doesn't it? And they're like, oh yeah. And then it's like, do you have a song that you think you like the snare on or the kick or whatever, or the vocals, or you like the, you like the bridge? And they're like, yeah. yeah. And so then you, you assemble these reference recordings and then you and that person just learn those songs too and go read about them, read about the, who recorded them, where they recorded, how yeah. they were recorded. And you kind of reverse engineer your own song from the lens of other people's music, right? Yeah. Because we can only come to music through our own vocabulary of what we've heard right. anyways. So, and then you make a song map like, yeah, like the intro should be like this and like a violin and a voice. And then the drums come in on the first chorus with the bass and then everything comes in on the second verse and the second verse is really big. And then like, you just write all this down, right? Mm -hmm. All this whole thing, right? Then you go make a session on a grid with a click track doo, 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 and you have them lay down all the sections just like basic sections right and what i always do is because usually singers are really bad like they used to not be but these days singers are just bad you know like that they're the least musical people in the whole band they're the least rhythmically gifted and like the least prepared and so it's like i get a midi keyboard and i play what the melody is supposed to be mm. and if we have worked out some harmonies already i play what the harmony parts are supposed to be mm -hmm. So then when the person comes in, if they're just like sucking, like I don't also make, never make people do full takes unless they can't, you know, mm. but don't make somebody do a full take because usually they can't. And it's like, and then do another take, do another take. And it's like, after four takes, they can't sing anymore. Right. And it's like, and now you're just like humiliating them. And it's like, and you're like, I'm, well, you just have to hit record. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You go in there. Yeah, so it's do. like, I arrange people's songs when they're singing from the easiest sections to the hardest. Mm. And so they'll do the easy sections, da -da -da, knock those out, go take a break, go have lunch, come back, warm up again, get stretched, hydrated, talk about stuff, do the medium hard sections. Mm. Then take a little bit of a break, not too long, because you want them to come in like with fire and say, these are the hardest parts of this song. Lose your voice. Like balls out, shred your vocal cords, don't worry about it, because mm. you're not going to do it long enough, because we're just doing it once or twice yeah. to really damage, you know. It, you might be hoarse for a day, but just don't talk for a few days and drink water, you know, and stretch. And it's like, and just let them in like, you'll get these really powerful moments, you know? And then just do a comp, edit it all together, you know, compress it, automate it so that like all the levels are roughly the same. And it's yeah. like, and then people are like, wow, I sound like, I sound like Aretha Franklin, I sound like Whitney Houston. And I'm like, you don't, but I'm just a good producer, you know? So mm -hmm. it's like, these are like tricks that I have self-developed from working in the modern era of recording where people come in unprepared and expect you to fix everything. Yeah. And it's like, I can fix everything, but there's you're going to be the one who does it. Yeah. You there's got to be some preparedness and how we chop it up. But it's not going to happen. 
like people think people still people believe it more now than ever that music is not a technical skill they think it's like an emotional right brain spiritual, spiritual thing yeah it's complete bullshit it'll, it'll come out it is a technical skill yeah. it is a mathematical technical skill music is organized sound yeah and silence organized sound and silence it's organized into three units rhythm melody and harmony rhythm is the most important and is 100 percent math it is yeah. nothing but math yeah. and it's simple math it's can you count to can you count to four you know that's 99 right. of it yeah if you want to be avant-garde can you count to five can you count to seven yeah and it's like, yes, I can't do it. And it's like, one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight. Wait, wait, I just counted eight, shit. You know, it's like, you can't count to seven, can you? You know, <laughs> so it's like, um, you'd think we'd be better at that. One, two, three, but we, we're not, you know? Yeah. There's only seven letters in music, A, B, C, D, F, G. Right. And there's some sharps and flats, very simple. But it's like, it's a mathematical, technical skill. And people want to make it like, I always ask my students, what is music? And they're like, music is your emotions and your shit. And it's like, I always, here's the test, like a Warshak test. Mm. If somebody gives me their top five and I go listen to them, I normally hate all of it or I hate four out of the five. If mm. I give them my top five, they normally hate all of it or they hate four out of the five. Normally, not all the time. Well, what's different? You know, it's like music is organized sound and silence. Yeah. We hallucinate. We lit like a Warshak test. We hallucinate our own experience, our own belief system, our own value system onto what we're yeah, hearing. We project it onto it. Onto it, yeah. yeah. It's not projecting any of that onto us. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just what it is. It. It's causing you to feel that way. Yeah, it's causing it like the color blue. If like your dad beat you with a blue belt, we'll be like, I don't like blue. You know, it's like, so if you see blue, it's like, I'm causing this. It's like, yeah, but really it's inside, you know? Right, yeah. Like cognitive so, behavioral therapy. It's like, there's no such thing as a trigger right because we're not triggered by the same things are we right so yeah. it's not triggers are not a part of reality itself yeah, they're it's part of our own unconscious yeah it's a learned behavior You're right and yeah. so it's like part of like healing from trauma is like going in and finding what happened to cause this trigger yeah and like why do i why am i triggered by the color blue oh. or, or like what what kind of depth do you add to some some kind of media that's impacting you like this like do you only get drawn into the tones or the the, the lyrics it's like you know it's like with country music it's like some people, it's like as soon as you hear that sliding guitar, it's like, oh, it's gonna be good, you know? It's right. like it just hits you. And some people are like, I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> like, literally, literally, yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the truck yard only plays country music, so mm. I've grown to hate country music more than I ever have, and to love it more than I ever have, you know? <laughs> well, because sometimes people come in and they are true masters of that genre, mm, yeah, and, yeah. and watching watching genius is always is always uh, a gift. Yeah. of the universe it's like yeah. wow like i get to be here and watch this yeah and then watching mediocre country is like oh my god you know it's like it's the worst <laughs> well and i mean you're a very practiced and aware person so yeah there's a lot yeah. of songs about chicks <laughs> the worst part is, is like a country musician will come up to the truck yard with no accent you know they talk oh, very no. neutral and then uh -huh. they start singing they're like where chick sheesh and it's like the fuck is that horse shit like some ccr stuff yeah where, like you're from san francisco but you sound like yeah exactly <laughs> yeah like all those dudes in england that could sound black you know they were better at sounding black than white people in america were mm. you know like hey jude man all that stuff Judah, 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 wow. uh, yeah. i mean he's just doing a little richard impersonation yeah. yeah and it's like literally like john lennon was like do it more like Little Richard. It was like screaming at Paul, like, come on, man, come on, man. You can do it. You're Little Richard. You can do it, you know? Yeah. And it's like, they needed to get that take, and like, yeah. John got it out of him. Well, those, were like, their, those were their channels. Because I right. mean, Paul dove into Little Richard, like, uh, 
what's that single that they have down you know that, mm. that song I, i'm down maybe it was, it was the single for help or one of the singles okay. for help yeah, yeah and like you should listen to it because it is like it's like little richard it's like they they jacked something from little richard right. and just and then but it's just them but it's awesome it's a really good song um and yeah it's like you have that and you have uh Lennon just channeling uh chuck berry <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah. And the Isley Brothers. Oh yeah, you know, Which the I Isley Brothers is. still get ripped off. You know, man, man, they're they're still kicking. They're, they're still, still kicking and there, still getting man. ripped off. Oh yeah, you know, like that Michael Bolton lawsuit, you know, in the '90s, one of the biggest lawsuits ever. Which one? Which one? Uh, did he get sued a bunch by the Isley Brothers? There was oh, no, a no, there was I, a big I, one where the Isley Brothers sued him because he literally just ripped them off. Like the melody was identical to like a famous Isley Brothers tune. Oh. And the problem is with all these guys is. You can't even talk about your influences anymore, because if you're like, "Oh, I'm really into Hendrix," and then you have a song with like oh, yeah. a Univibe and a fuzz pedal into a Marshall, people who don't know what music is and be like, "That's the same." Yeah, I'm like, you can't copyright gear, right? Literally, you know, yeah. like yeah, or like or like I just said, like a, a steel guitar or a, a I don't know, just anything or, or right. a really particular synthesizer or something. It's like, oh, I have a chord, blah, 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 blah. And you, you put in some kind of arpeggiator and you get some kind of tone out of it and you're like, right. oh, that's the, uh, I don't know, think of somebody like, that's a that's the washed out sound. That's the, right. that's the. That's uh, the middle section on that Pink Floyd song. Yeah, yeah. It's just a sequencer. Yeah, but it's like you hear that and you're like, that's Pink Floyd. And then you hear, you know, Talking Heads use it and you're like, oh, they're jacking Pink Floyd now. It's like, no, it's it's a technical thing inside of a piece of an electronic piece of gear that some nerd thought of, you know? So it's like. Piece of equipment. Yeah. Is it the the exact same time? My favorite (laughs) is is like when people think they like chord progressions. It's like every chord progression was figured out by Bach by like the middle of the 1600s. So it's like there's no new chord progressions in the Mm. Western vocabulary. So it's like people will be like, like those mashups like axis of power where like it's a one five six four and a key it doesn't matter and it's like you know it's Uh pachelbel's canon right and so it's like yeah there's a bunch of songs that's let it be right and it's like i'm a spitting motherfucker poor thing you have to disinfect this um i got vaxxed so don't worry okay yeah me too i could have other diseases you don't want (laughs) um yeah but it's like people think that like oh you can sing the same song over that song it's like yeah because it's just harmony like oh, yeah. you, you can't copyright harmony yeah yeah or like um well there's another one but i know like zeppelin just like recently they had that whole stairway of heaven uh, lawsuit about how which is complete horseshit yeah that's yeah. the chord progression of my funny valentine which is like 30 years predates the one that they're getting sued for yeah it's just a descending minor six so it's a minor yeah a minor sharp seven a minor seven a minor six D major, F major. Yeah. That's literally my funny Valentine. My funny Valentine. Yeah. Dum dum, sweet comic Valentine. Yeah. You make me smile with your heart. It's the exact same chords. Yeah. It's like, but that's not copyrightable. Like that's like a descending minor six. Like, yeah. What are you gonna do about it? It's like <laughs> somebody's like, oh, it sounds the same. It sounds real similar. It's like, yeah. Just like. It's Every song that starts on a G chord sounds similar, you know? Right. Yeah. The big folk G everybody plays. I'm like, there's a lot of G's on the neck. Let everybody play that one, you know? Yeah, or like heavy what metal. Or like, yeah, in heavy metal, it's like open E. And yeah, open D, D, drop yeah, D, D, drop yeah. C. Isn't that fun? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's cool. I just, I don't like sounds that sound like, like if I put like a bunch of metal into a blender and hit like the high setting, 
And it's like, I don't think that's like fashionable to me as a, a spectrum of music, <laughs> you know, mm. like I'm just not into it. But I think you like music to make sense and be mathematical and no, I mean, it doesn't have that. to be at all. It's like it does like the stuff I'm talking about is mostly done un unconsciously. Sure. Like all that Jay Dilla stuff, right? Yeah. Or swing or whatever, right? It's all done unconsciously. But it's like if you wanted to describe it to somebody so they could understand it, that's what yeah. you would have to explain. Yeah. So it's like I just have both sides of my hemisphere wired together. Most people don't, you know? So it's like mm. I can do something creative, like exponentially more creative than so many people around me that think they're all right brain. I'm like, no, you're just small brained. Like your brain doesn't work good, you know? And it's like, mm. it's not that like, oh, I'm so much smarter. It's like I try harder, you mm. know? It's like, and that's like, there's some capacity where humans don't have free will, but there's also some capacity where we do. And it's like that thing I'm trying to be completely in control of, yeah. you know, that little piece, which is, I think like free will reduces down to like the ability to focus or to not focus. Yeah. Right. That's all it is. It's like, I'm going to pay attention or I'm not going to pay attention. Right. Yeah. Cause your brain will just run automatically like a dog's and just be on an algorithm of sensation, you know, right. and like one thing leads to the next and you don't really like analyze any of it, but it's like the free will mechanism is really just this part in your brain. You're like, I'm going to focus on that. You know, and it's yeah. like, so I try to be, I'm, no one can be a master, but I try to be in control of that as much as possible. Yeah. And it's like other people just kind of live in like this like gray area where like they really like everything's undefined and like just a mystery. And like, so for them, maybe it is a mythology because maybe like they have to view things on the archetypal level. Like mm -hmm. they have to see it as like these big images and symbols and they can't get, it's like some people can't get access to like moral premises unless they picture angels and demons battling over their head, you mm. know? Like yeah. they really can't. Yeah. And then it's like, they really reference. need to see like the angel and the demon. Like, what would the angel do? What would Jesus do right now? It's like, what would a good person do? Like, just like model yourself after people you enjoy being around, mm. you know? Like, what would they do right now? Oh, would they steal this? Would they punch this person? Would they kill right. this person? Would they do this? Yeah. Or, or just use yourself. Do you want that to happen to you? Yeah. You like know, have a awareness of your character, have awareness of impactfulness of people around you and everything. But also like just that that form of discipline, the, the having the self-awareness to be able to check yourself. So I, mean, I, I feel like that's something you have to practice. It's just like a muscle. It's like it's a muscle in your head that you have to practice. Because I mean, I'm a project manager and a sales manager and been doing this for six years. I handle accounts across the nation. I haven't been through something like something could terrible ha could happen to me tomorrow at work, and I guarantee you it's happened to me before. Right. Like I've just I've been through it, so it's like I just I'm. I'm you have a repertoire of of experience mechanisms. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah, and a, and a process to you know keep stress off my back because I'm I should have more like assertive behavior or or feel more self like a uh, uh, centered. And, or not, not self-centered, but like just centered and, right. and, and, and confident that I've done this before, so I'm gonna get to the end. I'm just freaked out right now because this was the one I was expecting and just differentiating that. I, I don't, it's not that I'm freaking out because I don't know what's gonna happen. I'm just freaking out because I wasn't expecting it. Right. I know what could happen next, but I have to take those two different little p bits and just put them a little bit different. And also just realizing that, and I say this all the time, man, that there's not right and wrong, that there's right and easy. And most ah. of the things that you say that it's like, oh, that's easy. Like what you just said, put it in some kind of context, it's a little easier to visualize or image, imagine. And thinking like, that that was just the wrong thing to do. He shouldn't have done that. Well, why did he do that? Why was he really doing that? Why did he not do the laundry? Why did he not treat her better? Whatever, it's like, it's probably easier, easier. to just not try. Yeah. And I was like, so it's like, when I think of things like that, I mean, like this show, man. I mean, I have a full-time job. I have uh, those two bands I'm in. One's kind of on a hiatus right now. And I have like a solo artist I'm, play, I'm, I'm workshopping some stuff with. 
I do all this and I have a full-time job and then just maintaining life, right? You're still a nice person. <laughs> you know, some people some people get really mean. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, I just, my another lesson, like my mom used to always tell me like, your character is who you are when no one else is around. And like that, I mean, she would tell me that all the time. That's nice. And that that has just always been like front of mind. Like, would I, would I take that? Like, would I take this? away from someone right in front of them. I was like, no, I wouldn't do that. It's like, so I probably just shouldn't do that. Or would I say this out loud to this person? Like, like, yeah, maybe I, if I think about this, like if I think this guy's not a good guy, maybe next time I see him, I should just tell him like, hey man, why, why are you why are you act like this sometimes? And you just confront him and just be like, right. okay, are you really like that? I don't think we're in line of character. I just don't think that's a good idea and then move on. But again, to put it in a context of right and easy, and it, it just makes a, because like, I'm a pretty disciplined person. <laughs> it just makes it a little easier to workshop your thoughts because right. it's like, well, and also thinking of future you as a different person. Like, cause I sometimes I think of, uh, like I try to think of the future me almost like my best friend, like someone I, I would hate to let down. Um, cause it's like, or, 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 or some, maybe I don't know, maybe someone like that's, that's just close enough to me that like, I would hate for them to think that that's how I really am. But then like, right. I let myself get away with it all the time. Why would have, I, if you heard, I think it's Friedrich Nietzsche. He said that like, why are there so few geniuses in the world, right? And he says, the answer to that question can be answered with another question. What is the greatest of all human characteristics, fear or laziness? Mm. And so, but I take that to mean, and I think this is something I've pondered a long time. I think fear and laziness are the same emotion. Laziness is fear of hard work. That's yeah. what it is. That's, what, that's why people avoid things because they're afraid of the effort. Right. They're literally afraid of like exerting the calories, the mental effort, the fit. like mm -hmm. they, they think, oh, tomorrow's going to suck. I don't want to do that thing. I don't want to get up at 11 today. I don't want to wake up at three. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like, this doesn't suck by the way, but I'm just saying it's like, but it's like I, when I, when I, when I went to bed last night at 5 a.m., I was like, oh, I'm going to get up in like five hours. I'm going to fucking blow, you know, but it's like, there's fear and laziness. But I think that like laziness is just part of the spectrum of fear. It's like, I am too afraid of what it means to put forth that kind of effort. Yeah. You know? Well, and again, I think it's also... It's the same, same idea as easy. Right. It's easier just to be here where I'm already comfortable. I already know what's going to happen. Something's going to... We like patterns. That's why we like music oh, to begin with. Yeah. It's like coming here breaks a pattern of mine, you know? So it's yeah. like, oh, I have to get up at a different time. I have to go... So someone I barely know, you know? And it's like, there's all this like apprehension. And it's like, I'm always like, my new rule in life, like maybe the last year is whatever I'm resisting, run towards it. Mm. Whatever's the thing like I'm most worried about, just sprint towards it. Like a buffalo. Yeah, and it's yeah. kind of like that old principle where like, when you confront the monster, the monster shrinks, mm. and you're the now you're the monster. You know, like, yeah. like oh, I'm the tough one. You know, and right. it's like, yeah, I well, really uh, embrace uh, that. It's also just, it's just real, like, because I, I think I, I mean, given just what what you're saying, like how how you work on yourself, how you perceive music, how you like to 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 uh, construct musically. It just shows that you 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 like to be real about things. You want it to make sense. You want it to you like. Well, I like magic too. You know, <laughs> I think you, you, I think people forget this. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just I think people forget that the, the mystery cults, like the most mystical people in history, like the Pythagoreans, mm -hmm. worshipped math. You know, and it's mm -hmm. like oh yeah, because when you play music to somebody who doesn't play music, it is indistinguishable from magic to them. Right. You yeah. know, so it's like when people were doing math and building pyramids, I'm like we're well, just doing math. <laughs> Right. It's just math, you know? Like, yeah. But the people watching were like, Bleh! Oh, yeah. like people today who don't understand math are like, how? How do they make big triangles like that? <laughs> did the math. <laughs> yeah, they did, they did some math. 
but but I think the satisfaction in running to math towards math that proves like you want to see input and output like you you like to see both sides and and that means you like reality like you I mean you like I mean I mean you respect reality I'll put it that way yeah I, I mean, do respect we, reality we, we that's all, a great way to put it yeah, yeah. And that's the best way to put it and and because like that's how I try to think about it that's why I put in those terms of right and easy and it's not like this evil good thing I'm balancing it's like right. no it's my behavior I'm balancing it's not like this preset thing it's like do I do this today? Do I wish I would have done it? Well, man, why don't I do it right now? You know, or like right. I tell, like my one little work habit thing is I always tell myself if if it, if it just comes to me, like you should reach out to this client. You should really mail this out maybe today instead of tomorrow. If it's less than two minutes, I'll just do it. Like right. I tell my if it's under two minutes, just go ahead and do it. Just do it. Just do it. And and again, thinking of myself, my future self as a different type of person or, or a person that I really respect, not just like I'll get there. Cause I'm gonna be there anyways, you know, like just sign like I'll walk That's the path. I've only recently been like, I'll do something to set myself up for success from like a week from now. Mm. And I get to work and it's all set up. And I'm like, thanks past me. Yeah. You're cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like that oh, guy's worth sure. hanging out with. Yeah. I wish like, I could go back there and be like, what's up, dude? <laughs> that was dope. Yeah. Well, shit, dude. I mean, like, uh, I don't know, half of the stuff I've done for the show. Like I've, I've, I've been in it, I've started this in December. It's like there's times where I get real frustrated because I'm like, oh, I've only had like 700 unique listeners so far. I wish I was in the thousands. I wish I was famous. I wish I had a sponsor. It's all the right. things, of course, that you I'm just relating to the my other references in the bigger media world. And then I realize I'm like, you're you're six months ahead of where you were before, you know, and just realizing like you had, you had to put your pin to the paper and get the idea down. So you had to do something. So you had to get these people in here. <laughs> I really do believe necessity is the mother of invention. I'm sure as you've done this, more and more technical issues have become apparent. Oh, you, yeah. you could have read all those in a book first, right? But sure. none of them would really have any meaning in quantitative sense until you experience them, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's like, I mean, getting musicians to show up is hard, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, because we don't work regular jobs, you know? We don't right. work, especially full-time musicians. So it's like, it's not like, oh yeah, I'm off this weekend. It's like, no, nah, that's my busiest time, busiest you know? Time, yeah. You know, so it's like, uh, well, what about, and it's like, but I mean, you did excellent negotiating that. It was because I was like, after like two times where I was like, I'm busy. I was like, I'm not going to do it. You know? And you were like, well, what about this date? And I was like, ah, fuck, I am for you that day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is yeah. cool. You know, like yeah. that's, that's overcoming resistance. You know, that's 90% of everything. Well, then on my side, I mean, that's, that's me just promoting I don't know, my preferred reality. It's like, if I, if I really want to meet with you, it's like, I, and I'm a salesperson. So right. I, I'm a very healthy salesperson where I don't, I'm very careful with how I market. I'm very careful with how I go out and do things. I don't expect everything to come to me. I don't, right. I'm not some magical sovereign being that things are just gonna lay at my feet. I just, I always expect I have to put in that part of labor or that part of effort or a clever spin on something that I'm, I didn't, oh, you know, I'm not one of those people that if I didn't organically think of it, then I just, I'm not that type of person. I'm just not, I'm not yeah, it's like it's like, like that. I love, it's like playing chess or something. It's like there's a, there's opportunities to do very little and win the whole game, you know? And it's right. like, it's like, if you can, I like what you just said, where you said like, you can put in the labor or you can find like the thing that everybody's missing. You know what mm. I mean? Like, that's like what I'm really interested in now with like music and stuff is mm -hmm. like, that's why I like Collier or whatever is because if you can just find the perspective that people are ignoring, it's there and people know about it, but they're just not thinking about it. Yeah. You know, like that's really, that's why things are so fun, you know, because it's like, there's, 
the capacity to know or to be aware is so limited. Like maybe you can be aware of six things at once if you're really trying hard. Like I'm aware of six things. If, mm-hmm. if, if I think about everything I can be aware of. And it's like, but there's all this data coming in. Like just like loads of data. And it's like your brain's just gating it. Literally like just like, no, not useful, not useful, yeah. not useful. And it's like, and, and what's defining what, what what's setting the parameters of the gate? Where's the threshold, right? It's like, right. well, the thresholds is your conditioning, your culture, your gender, your ethnicity space time uh chemistry you know it's like things that you're mostly not in control of you know so the stuff that does make it through the gate it's like you get like a little nuance of ability to like zero in on one or two of them if you really try you know and it's like that's that's the game to me it's like what came in what came into my net today my little tiny like net in this big cosmos of potential you know right it's like oh i got these and it's like what can i do with them you know and it's like you know it's like a poker hand and it's like uh you know like yeah, but I can bullshit my way through this one. <laughs> you know, right. it's like there's a lot of uh, well, there's a lot of uncertainty, but there's yeah. a lot of like a uh, uh, possibility. One thing I wanted to because t- I a lot of people think it's about me. It's not true because like in every personality test, like I get like I've, like the Myers Briggs and stuff. I'm like way more right brain creative than I am left brain, but I always come across as a left brain. But I also have there's a position in the IET whatever Q blah 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 Myers Briggs thing where it's uh, a person who has like cross hemisphere. Uh, ability like I can talk between my hemispheres really well so it's like Mm. the way I see it is like I am way into mysticism way I love smoking DMT like I don't do any drugs I don't drink I don't smoke weed I don't do cocaine the only drugs I do are DMT and caffeine Mm. you know and it's like the reason I do DMT is I call it the working man's hallucinogen because it lasts like five minutes Mm. I don't want to do shrooms or acid or weed or alcohol because that's hours of my life just gone Mm. and there's always a hangover from those things even shrooms like you feel weird for about 24 hours Mm. you know it's like dmt the hangover is about three minutes so you go to another dimension like you'll get like some crazy insight you know like man like beings manifest like it's probably just your unconscious like yeah like bubbling to the surface but you'll see something really important and then it's like that's cool you know and it's like and you feel kind of weird for about three minutes and you're back to normal it's like now i can go about my day you know so Mm. i'm not condoning DMT usage I wouldn't recommend that to anybody but I would say that like that's something that I'm that I explore right and I think that like it's kind of like a stargate right like if like if you see the movie stargate mm-hmm. you had to do math and science to make the portal right and the better the math and science the better the portal is the more stable it is the better the stargate is right sure. but once the stargate is open all hell breaks loose I mean like it's a it's magical what could happen right it's right. like it's like opening that portal on uh, stranger things to the upside down yeah I think that like if there is a higher spectrum of things, like the divine ratios and everything, like the overtone series, do, do, I can't sing that high, but the overtone series just makes a major triad at the bottom, right? It's an octave, a fifth, and a perfect fourth, then a major third, then a major second, then another octave. And it's like, it, but it makes, it ends up making a spiral, right? Mm. And it makes a perfect spiral. That's the overtone series. So every sound has the overtone series in it, right? The volume of those overtones is what gives something its timbre. That's why my voice sounds like your voice, or my voice sounds like my voice, your voice sounds like your voice, this yeah. table sounds like, because the volume of the overtones is unique. It's like a it's like a spectral of light, like a prism, right? How loud each frequency is is what gives something its timbre. Um, the overtone series is in seashells. It's in the human face, like really beautiful faces match up to the divine ratio. All this stuff, right? Mm. And it's like so. Here's some kind of like underlying architecture to the cosmos itself, right? And so you can communicate through it just by looking at it and pondering how beautiful it is and how mysterious, like a gorgeous face is or beautiful music is and all that. And that's fine too. Like you can just be. That is what I would call being a consumer. Of, mm. of of the universe's grace 
you're just a recipient of it and you're just consuming it. Yeah. But I like to be a messenger of it, you know? So that's why you have to learn how to be the mathematician or the scientist so you can build the Stargate so mm -hmm. that other, other people can walk through it. And that's what really rhythm is to me, right? Like lots of things are rhythmic, right? Our heartbeats rhythmic, the electrical signals in our body are rhythmic, uh, that air conditioner down there refrigerating is rhythmic, the sun going around the earth, or the earth going around the sun is rhythmic. Yeah. Every big rhythm of 365 days, we bring you a cake and a candle, it's like, woo, you know? And it's like, that's a rhythm, right? Mm. Seasons are rhythms. So it's like rhythms all around us. And it's like, but like this thing is like, music is the only art form that deals fundamentally with the present, right? Maybe film does or theater, but music happens right now. Like really a song that's playing in your head only starts and stops when you start playing it and when you end it, right? Like the music exists in that time, in that presence. You yeah. can't go back and look at it again. When you listen to a recording, you're not listening to the same thing you listen to. You're listening to a new, like even though it's similar and analogous to what you heard before, it is different. Mm. The electricity is different, the electrons are different, the airwaves that are moving are different airwaves. Yeah. Like you're hearing something new every time. So the other thing is the brain itself, like you can like play like a symphony and they do this to Alice. They play a symphony in its ears, they put on headphones on Alice, they cook mm. electrodes up to its brain and they connect the electrodes up to an oscillator, like a synth oscillator yeah. that'll move from electrical voltage. Yeah. So if they hear the oscillator goes from the back of their uh, audio cortex. So literally when you hear music, you become the music. Your brain vibrates at the frequencies you're hearing. And you can pull, you can, it's not like, like if, if I say, uh, see this in your mind, I can't cut open your head and find the microphone. Right. But if I say, listen to this, da, 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 right now in your brain, I could find it. Yeah. It would be there. Yeah. The sound of what you're hearing would be inside your brain and I could actually pull it out. Yeah. Like, Here it is. Da, 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 da. He's hearing it, you know? Yeah. So that's bizarre. We actually become what we hear. So maybe it is important what we listen to. It is important what we hear and how we experience vibrations. Some vibrations yeah. can rip buildings apart, right? So it's mm -hmm. like vibrations are not completely mundane and completely benign. They're not, music is not like this trivial, yeah. benign thing. It has immense power, it can change the world. Yeah. And I came here, I wanted to tell you one story. I, I, I thought of things I wanted to tell you about. Sure. One thing I really love, this is my favorite story, I'll cry telling it. Um, music can change the world and it does all the time but people don't connect the dots because it's not part of like the accepted history history is written by warriors so like so they write about the wars and the conquerings and the politics and the battles in the streets and da da da, da because we want to envision history as this battle of physical objects mm. where really i think most of history is just the battle of electrons it's the history of ideas yeah. like electricity moving through my mind out of my mouth into your eardrums becoming electrical vibrations and you thinking about it right right history is the motion of ideas the two most influential people in human history were socrates and jesus neither of them could read or write mm. they just spoke yeah you know the, the second most influential book in western history besides the bible is plato's republic it's just the story of socrates having dinner and he sits down and just starts talking, you know? So it's like conversation, sound is so important, you know? Like in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without void and God said, let there be light, right? And yeah. it's like the act of making sound and even though there's no sound in space in a vacuum, there's no air molecules, the act of creating vibrations that then cause an outcome, that cause like a, vi like a reciprocal vibration to return, you know, that's different than the one that was sent out. Yeah. Like that's the fundamental core of music, but it's the fundamental core of speech, communication of ideas, of electricity and circuits. So Louis Armstrong, right? There's a guy named Charles Black, right? He's a young student at a UT Austin studying law, mm. like about 1925, right? And Southern family, kind of racist, kind of bigoted, whatever. And he goes to this nightclub, on 6th Street, UT Austin, 1920s, to hear 
uh, this jazz music or whatever everybody's talking about doesn't care for it. Mm. Uh, but there'll be a lot of pretty girls to dance with. And so in one of his philosophy classes, they had been studying the idea of genius and like what makes somebody a genius. And he said, I saw genius in person for the first time embodied in the character of Louis Armstrong. And he, what is the place for that man and the race of people he came from? And so Charles Black was the second attorney on Brown versus Board of Education. Oh, wow. So I use that as an analogy because music is so strong. It's, it's can bind people together or rip them apart. And I think that you want to be a messenger of that thing, you know? Like, if that's why, again, I say if I had a religion, it would be music. Because mm. this is something that is in the cosmos itself. Like, even the planets are resonating at harmonic overtones right now. You know, mm. and it's like, why? What, what's it for? What's it doing? Why can, why can only we do this? Why can only we recognize these patterns in the cosmos? I don't know. Like, and I don't, I don't think the Bible or the Quran or what, I don't think they have the perfect answers. I don't, I think they have part of the answer, you know, but they're incomplete answers. And I think we all just have to kind of find that on our own. But I'm really glad you're doing this, man. Uh, that's why when we, I saw mythology, I was like, cool. Yeah, because <laughs> I see it that way. I see, I see it like the Pythagoreans saw like the dodecahedron or something like, mm, yeah, there's these objects in the cosmos themselves and they're talking to us. Like if, if I, if I put sand here and we put an oscillator and oh, I started yeah. playing tones, it starts making oh, hexagons and squares and yeah, so, it's like perfect fuck? shapes, which don't exist anywhere. Right. They only exist in the human mind and in overtones. And it's like, yeah. And vibrations. Yeah. And like, it's like, this is wild. It's like, you almost like, if you ever do DMT, you, you almost see this like uh, archetypal plane where like everything is just endless geometry. Mm. You know, it's like, if you do DMT, I was like, if I was ever a stand up comedian, I'd be like, does anybody ever smoke DMT? And it's like, not enough people have smoked DMT for this to be like universally funny. It's like, does anybody ever feel like it's like the cheesiest advertisement for geometry? <laughs> Because you smoke DMT, it's just like all these geometrical shapes. Like you can't see, like your eyes are open and you just see like another mm. universe of geometry. And it's like, whoa. And then like these like beings will come out of the geometry and kind of talk to you. And they're like, hey, you should do this. Like, why are you doing this? Like the first time I did it, it's something I, I keep remembering to work on. I've grown an inch and a half this year. I'm five, oh, nine and a half. Really? Now I'm five, 11 and a half. Yeah, from sitting up. Oh, shit. The first time I did DMT, I had, had we were doing a podcast and um, I was running the sound for it. And there was this ground loop, like, you know, and I, I couldn't find it. And finally we found it. It was a, a screw on one of the monitors had come loose. And so the XLR was touching the inside of the case, oh, making a ground loop. Yeah, yeah. So I tightened it down and went away, right? So I'm on DMT and like these, these, whatever these things are, they call them clockwork elves or machine elves or something, you know, Terrence McKenna. But yeah. they come down and they're talking to me and they're like scanning my body like aliens, you know? And they're like, oh, this is good. You're doing this right. Well, this is wrong, you know? And then they're like, hey, man, they're like, your spine is just an electrical circuit. If any part of it's out of alignment, the whole circuit is compromised. And I was like, whoa. And so like I set up and like the angel wings came out of me and like protected me. And I always thought sitting up meant you were kind of an asshole. You know, in our culture, because we're Protestant, we're taught to be like kind of humble and like cower down, you know? And I was like, but if you stand like this with your shoulders back, it's like the electrons move better, right? Mm -hmm. And the other thing is what you're saying, this, it's the same reason we wave. You know why you wave? I'm unarmed. Why we shake hands is to check for weapons. Oh yeah, to check for yeah, because you used to grab your yeah, you wrist. Grab your wrist, so you, you got away. Yeah, so, so signs of peace are signs of like I'm I'm harmless. Put your hands up, right? Yeah. Hi, you know it's actually like I'm not gonna hurt you, yeah. right? So it's uh when you stand up straight with your shoulders back, you're saying I have nothing to hide. I'm not gonna hurt you. Mm. I'm open. Check me. Hmm. You know. So it's like I really once I realize like I'm not an asshole if I sit up. <laughs> I'm actually I'm just saying like no, 
I'm just at peace. Like, yeah, what's going on, man? I'm not puffing my chest out. I'm yeah, just, I'm not. I'm not doing this. Yeah, you know, I'm just. I'm just. I'm just yeah, I'm like letting the electrons move up and down my spine to my brain and to yeah. my organs, and it's like ah, oh, so much better. And when you play guitar like that, it looks better too. You know. Oh yeah. So yeah. it's like it feels better. It looks better. You get less injuries, and it's like wow, man. It's like I, I was like, thanks, DMT people. <laughs> I was like, I'm an inch and a half taller. That's nuts. Yeah. Wow. Because that's, that's how much I was slouching. Wow. You know. Dang. You're just looking at your fretboard too much. You know? Yeah, like this, or like you know, on a drive or sit at a desk all day. You know, yeah. it's like the way I know this is because my dad is six foot and he's older, sixty eight, so he's gotten a little bit shorter. Mm. But I was like, Dad, I'm your height, and we went back to back, and I'm at the same height. My dad's like, Well, I've shrunk a little bit, so we went and measured me, and I'm five eleven and some change. And like just like two years ago, I was five nine something, wow. and I'm like, I'm thirty three. I'm like, I don't grow. I'm like, it's from sitting up. Yeah. Like you know, your spine can twist all kinds of wow. directions. That's nuts. That's that's chaos, but I would just say that um, my mind's very, like, nonlinear sometimes, especially at this time of day. I didn't get enough sleep. I just just feel like what you're doing is great, man, and I think, like, don't stop, like, for any reason. Like, there's going to be, like, times you don't want to and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, but if you can talk, man, Dallas, dude, the energy in Dallas, like, if you really go out there and the stuff, like, the stuff that, like, Jacob Collier is really into, like, started here in Dallas. Mm. There's some evidence that maybe the blue started in Dallas, you know, like it definitely started like the fundamental started in Clarksdale and like the Mississippi Delta, mm. but it, it moved on trains very quickly to Dallas. The first notation of the blues is called Dallas blues, you know, and it's like, really? so yeah, WC Handy, who's from like Milwaukee, you know, it's like, but he came to Clarksdale and he saw a guy in Clarksdale, Mississippi, probably a guy named Henry Sloan singing a song called Dallas blues. Because those guys were like bards, you know, they were vagabonds. They didn't yeah. work on plantations anymore because that sucked. I just want to be a guitar player. So they'd get on trains and travel all over, yeah. you know? And then when the great migration happened, when the cotton gin and the automated loom and stuff took over the South, they no longer needed manual labor. Mm. So all those black people just went to New York, Chicago, Dallas, uh, Los Angeles. You know, T-Bone Walker went to Los Angeles from Dallas. The first electric guitar player is T-Bone Walker. He's the first person to go clunky, clunky, clunky. All those Chuck Berry licks are just T-Bone Walker licks. Yeah. That was uh, Chuck Berry's favorite guitar player was T-Bone Walker. Yeah. He's from Dallas. His name was Oak Cliff T-Bone. You know, I didn't it's know like, he was from Dallas. Yeah. Robert oh. Johnson did all of his recordings three blocks over there at a 508 Park Avenue. Oh, wow. You know, my friends, one day we, we could do a podcast there. Oh, hell yeah. We can go yeah. in the basement and like it says colored restrooms and stuff. That's where they had to go oh, to use the restroom. Shit. Bob wow. Wills and the Texas Playboys, they did their first records there, which is the beginning of country and Western swing. And it's like, wow, it's all right here. You know, yeah. there were only two places to record at that time. There was Atlanta and Dallas, mm. you know, like the early recordings. And yeah. it's like it all moved eventually. But. Wow. It's like, it's, man, it's just, it's like, I think like, I've been all over the world. My parents are missionaries. There's like a vortex here, you know, like of cultures and, yeah. they, and there's so many people coming here, you know? So it's, yeah. Well, and especially right now, I mean, it, like a bunch of companies moved down here, like in like 2015, 16, because like middle of America shipping rates are a little more predictable and all this type of stuff. And like taxes. Oh yeah. Taxes for sure. But like, I had just gotten to like the sales like workforce. Well, no, so I started like six years. So I was like two years into it when like a lot of those big corporations, maybe like Toyota and 7-Eleven and, and like uh, Microsoft, Uber, all these big people. And like I saw the downtown I had just, or the Dallas, city of Dallas, I had just kind of become accustomed to in those two years, you know, working in it. Cause I was an outside sales rep, so I'm everywhere. Right. And it started changing and started, there's all these apartment complexes popping up everywhere. It's like uh, uh, Deep Ellum was getting framed out by luxury high rises yeah. and stuff like that. And it was kind of a bummer, but it's yeah. okay. It's okay. <laughs> like, hey, it's more money they throw down there. So, but uh, but uh, but it, yeah, I was just taking. Most it back. people don't go out. So, yeah, some do. They drink but, in yeah. Netflix. 
Oh yeah, yeah they're losers. Oh, you'll have your folks. Have you have you been to the uh, the Hamilton? Have you seen that high rise down there? Is that the one? I think it's technically called where the Hamilton Union Bank building is part of it. It's right there across from where the Profit Bar used to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been in there. Yeah, the music. That's cool. The music uh, themed yeah. one. Yeah, that one's cool. The whole building is like themed like that. It's yeah, nuts. that's cool. They had that was part of like the deal that they had to make with uh, the whatever. They had to try to fit in the neighborhood. Uh, they redid, you know, that Union Bank building. You know who built that, right? Mm-mm. It was a Booker T. Washington son-in-law. It was a famous architect, black oh, architect. Wow. And then they had a black doctor's office, a black post office, a black Masonic lodge. And the top floor was a black dance hall where Ray Charles used to play before oh, he was shit. famous. Yeah. Oh, wow. And it's like, Ray Charles used to live in Dallas. People don't know that. Oh, wow. He lived in Bonton. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. So it's like, it's just like, it's the spot, man. It's yeah. really cool. Well, I mean, I was talking about just modern movements no that's what i'm saying it's like but but thinking they had to integrate that bill the part of that union bank they had to make part of the structure yeah but that's what i'm saying though is like with all this new stuff coming around it's still jiving up like the 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 scene it's still it's still i mean yeah like what you just said there's going to be the people that they'll go to their bar that doesn't have anything music related to it at all they'll watch netflix they'll just stay in their home trying to like relive their version of friends or how i met your mother yeah modern age but but it's like there's so, there, I don't know. I particularly realize this because I have his buddy. We haven't done it yet. And he's a lawyer, and he he his schedule is just insane. Um, and we're we're working on a, a, a Texan musician list because we wanted to do a series, an episode series on just different Texans and and their background and and how we would appreciate them or whatever. And my God, it was just like insane. Like as we started working on that list, and like because you know I would write down the ones that I just organically knew, and you know like Erica Badu and Stevie and all the people you would think of, mm-hmm. or or even the, the the like Snarky Puppy, and it's a few people I knew. But then I would go obviously to the internet and started trying to find all the lists I could, and just people I was totally unaware of. Yeah, or like what you just said, the people that lived here for a stint. And that's like, no, they're not from here, but like they moved here for like half a decade. And right. like this when they made these two albums, like, oh, shit, like what? They right. were down here or like just even like the the people that like I, I, I mess with every I, I listen to him every now and then. Like uh, we just saw this guy, Israel Nash. You really heard of him? Uh uh-uh. It's kind of like, a, I don't know. It's got like a country-esque rock sound. He's more like kind of like psych country. He's kind of like Neil okay. Young, but a little oh, more. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's stuff. cool, though. Yeah, yeah, I love that uh, stuff. Yeah, well, he just played. Have you uh, heard of that venue out in Grand Prairie called uh, Firehouse Gastro Park? I've heard of it, yeah. yeah I we, haven't been out there. We saw him there uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was like his first concert in a long time or since COVID, you know. And, right. And like they, they, had just, they had opened right when COVID hit, so they didn't have like anything. Um, so they're, they're lucky they made it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they're, I think they have some kind of historical status, something that might okay. have saved them because they're built out in that downtown Grand Prairie firehouse, like the original one. Oh, that's cool. It's a really cool spot, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have them on. Um, I'm going to go interview them uh, next month, actually. Badass. Yeah, yeah. I'll watch it. Uh, yeah. And it's it's a really cool venue and it's, it's smaller, a little more intimate, but like it was awesome getting him, seeing him play. And like, then I remember I was like, oh yeah. I was like, you're not from Texas. Like you lived here for like a few years. And like the, the years that he lived here, he came out with like two badass albums. Uh, one's called uh, uh, Lifted and the other one's called Rain Plans. And like, they're both super good. And uh, uh, and, and yeah, I just thought, like I was like, man, it's like, I, I wouldn't have thought of you. I was like, but you lived right. here. And like, just like what you said, just that history and that cross pollinization of 
cultures. It's a crossroads, and, man. You yeah. know, like the the crossroads, like you know, like the crossroads and blues music yeah. is actually where two railroad tracks intersect. Mm. You know, like you really, really do your history. Yeah. So the first notation of the blues is W. C. Handy. He's like a classically trained African American guy, kind of like a bougie upper class African American guy from a little bit up north, mm. and. He knew that black people in his world made music that made no sense to Westerners. And so he's like, well, I'm gonna go notate it. So he gets on a train and goes to Clarksdale. And when he gets to Clarksdale, there's a guy playing pocket knife slide going, oh, I'm going where the Southern cross the dog. Oh, I'm going where the Southern cross the dog. So railroads rarely ever do perpendicular. They always do this. That way they don't run mm, into each other and right. they have time to break. Yeah. But there's a place in near Clarksdale where the Southern Cross Railroad and the Yellow Dog Railroad make an intersection like this. Mm. So like even in World War One, people from Mississippi could find each other. Like if like regiments like came together and they'd be like, does anybody know where the Southern cross the dog? And so be like, I'm from Mississippi. And they like, go sit with him. They had a friend, you know? So mm. it's like, it was a known thing. That's where the real crossroads is. But a crossroads is also a reference to like a uh, Papa Legba and like the uh, West African folk myth of like, there's a demon at the crossroads that you can negotiate oh, with right. to like give you yeah. things. Kind of like a, like a Faustian like being, you know, in like yeah. African culture. So there's that aspect of it too. But Dallas, so remember the crossroads is where two railroads meet. The only thing Dallas has to offer was railroads. Was railroads, yeah. This, That's uh, what brought everybody here. Missouri, Kansas, uh, Texas railroad. Yeah, they all intersected right here. Right here. It, was yep. a, it was a crossroads. In fact, uh, I office in the old headquarters. No the, shit. The That's Katy, crazy. The Katy building. What is it? Like, DFW is like top 10 biggest airports in the world. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, it's like, it's still a crossroads. You know, yeah. it's still this like has the same function that it did then it's like a it's a trader's post or something you know it's like yeah. i don't know i don't know i don't know what to think about dallas really but i have like these romantic ideas about it it's also like i think we're like events that change the world happen here quite frequently you know right like the obviously the assassination of jfk and i think that's why like badu and my friend cameron from uh cure for paranoia just did a video like kind of like based on badu's video but he did the whole video filmed backwards so he starts off naked like where Badu got shot, you know, mm. or whatever. So he's naked like her, then he puts on his clothes and he walks backwards and does everything she does backwards. But then the video plays forward. And so you see him just reliving what Badu did in her video, but all the cars are going the wrong direction. It's like uh, the coolest thing ever. Yeah. You have to check it out. He cool. just, just did it like three weeks ago. But uh, Well, cause like Coldplay did that with uh, the scientists. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's like that, but he's there's a reason. His is like political or something with really like Black Lives Matter or something. Mm. But, um, and also, do you know them? Cure for Paranoia, Cameron Cloud. Yeah. It's crazy. So his band's called Cure for Paranoia. They're like huge hip hop band now. Like they play with like Kanye West and stuff or whatever. Oh, but shit. they're very accessible. If you go to like Three Links or Freeman or something, you'll see them all the time. But they, uh, those dudes in particular, um, Cure for Paranoia, Cameron is a schizophrenic. So mm. his band, like his rapping, like helps him deal with that. You know, so that's what's called Cure for Paranoia. But he would be a good guest on your show. Huh. He's like he's the greatest rapper I've ever seen in my life. Like nice. genuinely, because he can do every style. But he's really good at like my favorite kind of rapping is like the chop chopper style, like mm. bus rhymes, yeah. like polyrhythms that are really fast. Like yeah. he's a master of that. Uh -huh. But like, but the shit he says is like really profound, you know. So it's like, nice, it's a cool dude. But yeah, I'll check him out. Anyways, the point was the JFK memorial. It's like there's like where like that single event like maybe is why we ended up in Vietnam is maybe why this cold war went a different direction is maybe why social global economic power shifted all over the world mm. why some people lived and some people died was because of that one event and it's like but it's happened right here and it's like 
I look for those. I don't know. I'm like, I'm not superstitious, but then I am super. It's like, I don't want to be superstitious, but deep inside, I'm like so superstitious, you know? Yeah, it's like, I don't want to be, but this shit keeps happening. It's like, <laughs> it's like that, uh, uh, that Steve Carell thing on The Office. It's like, I'm not superstitious. I'm a little stitious. Yeah. It's like, I'm kind of like that, but it's like, there's, uh, there's just stuff like that, you know? It's like, I always look for like those kind of like absurdly romantic things. Like I like to go to like Bonnie and Clyde's graves, you know? And it's mm. like, I like the fact that they're not buried together is cool. You know, you have to, the Clyde Barrow grave, you have to like literally break into the cemetery cause it's like not open to the public. So you have to like hop a fence or like crawl through a gate uh, to go see his grave. I'm like, that's fun. You know? So it's like, <laughs> why not? <laughs> Anything like that is exciting, you know? Mm. Like old stuff that like, it's like, we don't have castles, you know? So what are we going to look at? You know, we don't have like mm. old temples to Zeus that we can go like play on as kids, you know? So it's like, wh where's our history? It's like, oh, there's this old road. Like I love to walk like near Fair Park. There's all these railroad tracks everywhere that are completely- There's nowhere, yeah. Yeah, and you can just walk down them and they just like end like at a tree. Yeah. And like, whoa, because yeah. nobody's used that rail line in a hundred years. Well, like I, uh, the office, well, yeah, that building, the Katy building that we office in, they wanted to put a, um, you know, like those large banners that are on the sides, like high rises, they're, yeah. they're called super graphics. And yeah, so they yeah. wanted to put a super graphic on their, their building. Well, it's historical. It's in the West End and uh, it's like 120 something years old. And so you, you, you have to get a, a historical committee, like permission. You have to get the right permit, right permit. Uh, you have to uh, get the uh, you have to get the um, what's it called? You have to get the law changed basically mm. to allow you to do it because it said no one in the West one could have it. But then right. like Antioch Church had one, like the Purse Building had one. So I was like, there's a way to do it. And so you had to get them to change the law and literally add like a sub line that said uh, except this building. This building, yeah. Wow. And it was this whole long process to do it. And I was gonna do it because I mean those super graphics aren't cheap. So I was right. like, if I can do this, I'll make some good money. Uh, so I started to work on it, and uh, they asked for like ten different uh, um, forms of all sorts of type for oh the business God. to apply, like all these tax platform maps. It's all these things. Uh, so I get, I, I don't have to collect it. I just pass the buck and I say, hey, right. they're asking for these things. They hand them to me, and I email them on, or I go and physically hand them off. Well, then they they call me back in because they need one more thing confirmed. And uh, they were like, well, we just need to label the building on the original, on the platform map for the city planning. It's like, okay. Uh, it's like, uh, I, I thought I already submitted that. That's 20, this was 2019 when I did this. I was like, that's the, tw that's the 19 uh, map. I don't, that's the tax map for 2019. What, what am I missing? They're like, no, 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 you're a historical building. You have to come and mark this on the original map. And so they send me, they they copy it. I'll, I'll send you a picture sometime. I have it. They copy the original town of Dallas. Oh my God. Uh, That's so cool. And, it, and it's literally, it's a perfect like little square. Right. Like, like the the West End. It is only the West End. That's all it is. Right. It's like railroads all around it and then just a perfect little grid city. And it's all the same. It, everything was exactly how the West End is. Like wow. it didn't say the courthouse, it just had the, the balance scale. Right. And it didn't say the the where the railroad, it just had the, the RR and the, the X, right. the two X and the, uh, uh, and it was just nuts. So I literally had to be like, oh yeah, it still says the Katie building on it. And so like, the Katie building is that old. Yeah. Jeez. And, and you want to put a graphic on it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm one of those people. Uh. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> but, um, I mean, dude, you know, like, like La Reunion. Mm -hmm. So Fourier is the inventor. He coined the word feminism during the French revolution. Mm. Right. So yeah. like he moved to Dallas 
and oh, he wow. had a con- like he's one of the fo- he's one of a proto Marxists, right? Marx looked up to Fourier. They're called Fourierites, right? They're yeah. proto socialists. Um, uh, I think he coined the word socialism also. Feminism yeah. and socialism. He moved to Dallas and had a colony called La Reunion, right? Yeah. Where its remains are is where Reunion Tower is. Yeah. And that's what it's named after. You yeah. know, and it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. That's it's like, nuts. it's <laughs> fucking weird, man. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, I don't know. I mean, that's awesome. I'm really glad we connected because, I mean, you just, you respect shit. <laughs> I mean, clearly. I just riff, man, you know? <laughs> well, the thing is, like, you just, you gotta, if you're gonna be a messenger, you gotta take, get a lot of messages, you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. I gotta hear everything, you know? So, yeah. So you gotta put on the DMT antenna and be like, what else? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But <laughs> uh, well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited, man. Uh, you know, obviously, like, the first six months, you know, there's, there's not there's... enough coffee either. Next time, more coffee. <laughs> okay. Like, this, I have to go get a cold beer after this. You didn't even hit. You didn't even hit the, the tip of the iceberg of the caffeine monster. Okay, yeah, two cups, people. Ima- imagine me <laughs> on actually caffeinated. It's like this. It's way worse. Like people are always like, "Dude, you're way too intense." I'm yeah. like, or, or people are like, "Slow down." I'm like, "Speed up." <laughs> well, maybe I hit the sweet spot, and you're. This just... is probably right. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably almost intelligible to another person. But no, man. I mean, when I started this thing, um, it's one of those things where like I. I went to school for you know marketing and, and media production. I was like, I, I could probably tie my hands together and make this work. You know, right. it's like I've 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 made all these skills, and as an outside salesperson, I've I've been able to deteriorate that part of my ego that keeps me from wanting to like branch out to people or reach out to people. It's like right. because now I'm I, it's like it's not just a branch. There's an apple on the end of that branch. Go for right. it. Right. And so it's not just like I'm just gonna uh, I'm gonna annoy this person. I'm gonna disrupt them. It's like maybe they have nothing going on. It's like maybe right. who knows? Maybe they're itching for a new direction. And yeah, maybe I'm totally green and I'm new at this. It's like, but I can still kind of talk the talk. I can do something. I can do something. Right. And it's like, because I've seen salespeople not be able to sell shit and then still make it happen. And it's like, right. well, I'm so in my head. It's like, maybe right. I'm just so in my head. I'm just pinning myself down, never really letting myself go and fail. Maybe just go and try. And it's like, as soon as I got my second vaccine, which is a few weeks ago, started making my list of like who have I really wanted to interview who who are the venues and the record store owners and stuff I think would be a good fit for the show it's like I just all my hang-ups were starting to deteriorate because I was like like what were you saying it's like calling it real just saying what reality is it's like stuff's opening up again it's like if you don't start now it's like right. you're gonna get but you're gonna be behind I was like or you're gonna wish you would have started sooner and so like I don't know last like month or so I've just had a really intense marketing campaign of just like every day I'll reach out to at least two people um, every weekend I'll reach out to at least like 20 people and and like now I have so like, your dates are already filled up I have like, in the future I, yeah I have like six more lined up already that's good yeah yeah and uh, uh, because I'm because I'm not new to this event world either I'm not used I'm not new to the uh, uh, the timeline like shuffle and stuff like that so it's like I'm aware like if I want to interview Chicano Batman at some point it's like I gotta catch him like half a year ahead of when they'd even be near me and just right. keep annoying him you know right, and just say right. like hey man looking forward to seeing you in October and just like right. touch him just keep right. touching him and and that honestly like uh, it crossed my mind I was like he didn't confirm with me last night because I, I don't know you I now I know you but it's like I didn't know your own personal level of flakiness because huh. some people are like really good up to the finish line and they forget about something and I was like, I wonder if he forgot. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really like loyal up front. So it's like, if, if I tell you like, hey man, time, you want to do this? At that's noon, how I am. It's like, like I'll be there right pe- at noon. Millennials will be like, 
we'll confirm it twice and that's enough right mm. it doesn't matter if it's for four months from now we're all gonna be there because we're adults yeah. but millennials will be like we well, didn't confirm the night before so it's like motherfucker you told me last like, you told week. me twice <laughs> that should be enough confirmation yeah. well yeah but like three weeks had transpired so i thought of other things during that th- three weeks that would it's like my calendar different. didn't think about it <laughs> yeah exactly I, I i'm the same way dude i put it in my calendar it happens yeah you know so yeah if it doesn't go on my calendar it's not gonna happen yeah yeah i got too many things i'm thinking about it's like psh- yeah. We don't remember that. Same. Yeah. And I don't want to dishonor someone. You know, if you came into my world, if you gave me the, the moment. Thank you. That I'm going to tell people that. I'm like, why are you dishonoring me? You know, like that's the best way to put it because that makes them feel so bad. Like what a mean <laughs> word. Well, that's what I use when we were in the music setting. When we we're in the studio and we're working on stuff or we're just jamming, working on someone's, you know, a song that they've come up or a little riff that they want to develop a little bit more. And, uh, you know, so-and-so saying like, I don't think that's you know i don't think that's the right note you're supposed to end it on or it's like i think or like or they say the wrong thing or like all right this is g flat to the e7 whatever right. and he's like i don't think that's e7 and they're like or, or whatever and, and and then they're like it's my song man i'm pretty sure that's what it is and then they come back and they're like well can we just at least look at it and make sure i'm i can translate it to the piano i just want right. to make sure you're actually transcribing it right right and then they realize that no that wasn't that it was right. something right. else and in that moment, it's like everything should be like, oh, okay, my bad, man. All right, right let's go right. on. But then there's just like that head space, like, oh, oh. now he, he thinks I don't, no, I don't like him. About. Yeah, dude, if yeah. you notice, there's like a, there's like a, like a steady rising, like KO meter, like <laughs> with people, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and, it's like, and it's like, and <laughs> it's like, well, he showed up late. Like so like my KO meter is a little <laughs> bit, yeah. And then it's like, oh, did, did you really? he's like one of those intuitive people who thinks that only intuition is useful. So if I'm like, Oh hey, that's a G seven, and he's like, it's actually G flat. I'll be like, it's crazy because G's in the bass, and they're like, Ugh. and then they're like, <laughs> and then their KO meter fills up. He's smarter than me, but I'm intuitive, and intuition's more important than knowledge, you know. And it's like one of those people who put, I have like this hierarchy between intuition and knowledge. It's yeah. like you know what's right is what's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't yeah. matter how you get there, man. Yeah. Like if, if we're both trying to get to the same destination and we show up at the same time, it doesn't matter if I went that street or, you know, it doesn't, you take the high road, I'll take yeah, the low the, road. The only difference is ego. It's like you're just- Exactly, you're yeah, this. man. It's yeah. like ego will suck the life out yeah. of something so quickly, you know, it's like- But that's so funny. Cause yeah, I mean, we, we had a little recording session a few weeks ago and that's why I just, I, we need to do it again. We need to, honestly it was one of those things where like we hadn't really been super coordinated and that was going to be like this weekend where we like we stayed together and we we're going to like workshop all this stuff and it was kind of the test it was like mm-hmm. if we were going to do well together we'll come out of it really good and, and polished or at least a little collected if we don't come out of it good which we kind of didn't and like then we kind of understand our shortcomings but like okay right. us two are taking it super seriously y'all two are on like different levels mm-hmm. so we got to address that and then there was parts of that where it's like well man i'm i'm doing my best I'm like yeah but have you been practicing because we've all been practicing mm. or, or have you been practicing this part I'm like well no I just know it I'm like <laughs> well that's <laughs> but, why when you got here you didn't know it that yeah day. exactly but it's but and it's hilarious because like yeah by the end of that weekend both all of us could kind of see like all right we need a break like let's come back and look like we I, I don't advocate lying to other people but I always tell my students this because so many people live with self-deception I'm like you can lie to other people and get away with it like it's fine mm-hmm. like I mean I don't recommend it it can cause problems but you can often lie to another human being and it won't come back to bite you in the ass like I'm not gonna lie to be like every every lie is found out not every lie is ever found out that's not that's a bullshit like like nursery wire that your mom tells you so you won't lie to her you can lie to people all the time and they won't find out but you cannot lie to yourself 
Like that is like if there's an unforgivable sin in like my rule book, you can't lie to yourself. Mm. The moment you lie to yourself, it's over with. The game is over with. Like your life is over with. Everything's gonna start crumbling. Everything's gonna start disintegrating your relationships, your work life. Everything will disintegrate because you're lying to yourself. Yeah. I tell all my because my students will be like, I did do that right. I'll be like, I just watched you do it wrong. And they'll be like, oh, I'm doing it right. I'm, I'm gonna record you. Do it right. And then oh, they do it, and it sounds like shit. And then I play it back. I'm like, does that sound right? And they're like. Yeah, someone will be like, yeah. And I'm like, and that's when I have like, don't lie to yourself talk. You know, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Because, but you get, you meet people all the time in their lives. And we all, we all have our own blind spots where we are lying to ourselves and, you know, and we haven't addressed it. But yeah. some people, it's so near the surface because they lie to themselves all, all the, the time. time. And it's yeah. like, well, you stop. Start, like, lie to me. I don't give a fuck. You like, start building this complex of, yeah. like, well, I, I know it all. Like, yeah, no, or, or like, <laughs> they, ah, man, it's just like, don't lie to yourself. Like, that's that's the simplest thing. Like, because once you lie to yourself, it all it's all over with. Because yeah. so those guys come in, well, I just know it. And, and they'll be like, because I've had that experience so many times with people. And they're like, I'm like, well, you didn't know it just now. Or the second time, or the third time, or the fifth time, or the sixth yeah, time. Yeah, says. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying, you knew it, but you don't know it today. No, I know it. Okay, play it. No, you still can't play it, man. But you say you know it. Where do you know it at? Yeah. And it's like, you're lying to yourself right now. Yeah. You're not lying to me. You're lying to yourself because you and me both know the truth. Well, that's why I said, I mean, that's why I called you out. And it's like, you, you, you really value reality or you respect it because I, I think there's the thing about that with performing musicians too, that you, you have to kind of have that mindset because like, you can't just go up there and fake it or you can't just fake. The if there ever was a meritocracy, it is music. You know, and it's and it's performing music. It's not necessarily like the industry of music mm-hmm. because obviously you can lie in the studio. But like when you're sitting, like if if I had a guitar right now and started, if I'm clapping and singing for you, yeah, there's there's no hiding it. You know, right. it's like this is actually happening right now, and there's no editing, and this is yeah, or vocalists that n- never hears themselves back. They just right. always sing, or they sing with a song all the time, and they're like, well, I sing this song all the time, and it sounds great. And like you ever not? sing along with the song and just hear yourself back right like, there's a lot of people i know they're like oh i'm a great singer and and then that's all they do is just only sing with a already made song you know thinking right. you know, it's like oh i can uh, or impersonate they're really impersonating the yeah and the other thing is what's called pitch averaging that's why like one person singing by themselves will be pitchy but the same person in a crowd of people will be like perfectly in tune because the ear averages the relative pitch next to it it's like the, it's like the cheerleader effect of sound to the cheerleader effect mm-hmm. i met your mother Cheerleaders all look super gorgeous because oh, your yes. mind averages their beauty all together. But then if you look at any individual cheerleader, none of them are that pretty, right? I mean, it's very misogynistic, sorry. But it's it's a joke from how I met your mother. Yeah, but I so I call that. it the cheerleader effect of pitch. That's why like sometimes the way to fix like a pitchy singer is just have them overdub themselves a few hundred. If, if their pitch oh, is always yeah. moving. Yeah. If they're a person who's consistently flat in the same spot, then you're just gonna have eight voices going like this. But if it's like this, like some are flat, some are sharp, some are flat. Your the mind will just hear the average. Right. The same with rhythm. You know, it's like people. That's why we like like a lot of times you won't hear how bad your drummer is until he's like recording. Mm. Because when you hear him with everybody else, your mind is averaging the center of the pitch. Right. You know. Oh yeah. So and then when he's by himself, it's like, damn, you it's suck. Way off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. Your only job is time. You don't have to know about chords, harmonies, melodies, nothing. Just time. And you can't even do that. You know? You sound like my dad. Well, your dad wasn't mean enough. <laughs> 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 Call your mom. <laughs> <laughs> the 
She says I'm great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy! The white people are the worst. Like, I was in line at Walmart, and, like, it was, like, this is before the pandemic, where they're, like, 24 hours, you know, because before the pandemic, I'm a musician. I'd go shop at, like, 4 in the morning, you know, because mm, yeah. that's when I was awake and I was free. So walmart and there's this like white guy like yelling at like this albanian lady with like a headscarf on you know mm. what i mean like she doesn't speak english he's just like shouting like where's your manager where's your manager and she's just looking at him like she has no idea what he's saying and i was like hey man i was like your mom isn't here <laughs> and he was like what <laughs> you know what i mean yeah because i just saw his face and he was like he was like so frustrated but like he's like Where's my mom? She'll fix this. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I deal with a lot of business owners, so sometimes there's people that they've had money all their lives, and then now they've decided to start a business, and so they just expect everything to just kind of fall into the same, I don't know, beautiful guidelines that everything has always fallen into. And uh, and then when they're like, I, I need this done tomorrow, I'm like, yeah, that's physically impossible. It's like if right. we do that, it's like that sign is not going to last a week. I was like, it, right. you have to, like you know, like if we're going to wrap a car, it's like we have to print the vinyl and then let it outgas for uh, six hours before we can even laminate it. Otherwise, when we laminate it, it'll start to give off gas that'll cause a, a separation Bubbles. between yeah. the laminate and it'll start peeling and you'll say right. your, your vinyl's freaking shitty i'm like right. that's how i can't do that i'll do right. it in three business days right. and that's all you get I'm like well what if i paid you more I'm like doesn't work like that like right. it's literally like a pr process that yeah, it's like well there's gotta be something we can do i'm like no you have entered the realm of time of, <laughs> yeah <laughs> you've entered the realm of reality where right. there are limits to a lot of things and, so and there's a there's a subsection of francis bacon the father of the scientific method that says uh -huh. re reality to be controlled must be obeyed mm. you know and i really like that that's good he's the father of modern science he's yeah. the reason we had the industrial revolution mm. <laughs> you know yeah he did, he did okay. <laughs> He's all right. He, yeah. he, he thought of a few good things. Yeah. <laughs> he was way into democracy, too. He wrote a bunch of books on it. The Founding Fathers were way into. Mm. So maybe he's why we're here at all. Oh, yeah. wow. You know, so no wonder everybody in America is a session with bacon. Nah, because, <laughs> because bacon is a food in his last name. I always do that when people make, like, really silly jokes. I like explain why it's funny. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just because it, it like sometimes it makes it funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'll be like, "That's what your mom said." I'll be, oh, because I, my mom is somebody I really care about, and if, she, and if she said something really horrific like that, it would be really upsetting. So I it's do. funny. Oh, you had sex with my mom. Well, it's like why? Well, like, well, uh, it's like what you're doing really is, funny, man. is what I do to dis, to to break the spell of anybody doing an offensive joke or not right. realizing it. I'm like, I don't get it. Can you explain that to me? <laughs> like, that they make like a, a subtly racist uh, yeah, joke. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I used to live in Aggieland, and uh, I, I would work with some people. Some well, it'd be like, well, you know, there. it was an Asian driver. Yeah. And you're like, I don't get that. How it's like, I, you know, I'm half Mexican, mean? I, and and like, you know, it particularly. I mean, they would say some dumb stuff. I would always call them out on it because I don't give a shit. My my both of my parents were preachers, so it's like. I'm, I'm very my dad's like, a preacher too that's funny yeah, I don't know and I and like I'm very uh, uh, just respectful of people just in general and so it doesn't even matter if it's it's my culture they're ragging on and and, uh, it, it, and I would just always speak up because it's just bullshit but then I realized like when I would call them out on it it's like sometimes they would just like walk away or whatever but then I realized when I responded to them and I was like what what do you mean by that and then they had to explain it oh the internal like 
the like, realization it, like, of their you know, own bigotry. Their, their yeah, gears, yeah. Their gears were go, made to go this way, and right. then when you made them stop and make Reverse. them go back, yeah. it doesn't work that way. So there's like. What do you mean? I have that's to cognitive. That is what? definition of cognitive yeah, dissonance. Like yeah, yeah. It's like, what? They have two conflicting what? ideas yeah, at the same like, time, and they can't put them. They can't make them fit together. Why do I have to explain that? Right. Why isn't that just automatically funny to you? I'm like, right. explain it to me though. It's because I'm right? not a racist piece of shit. Yeah, <laughs> but just like, it's, just break it down for me, man. It's like I, I think it was kind of a. Well, by the way, Mexican culture could lose the polka. <laughs> <laughs> Keep the tortillas and shit, but the polka go. Polka's around forever. <laughs> Polka forever. Don't talk about my culture that way. No, it's fine. I mean, I like I like duple music. Boom, dum, boom, dum, boom, dum, boom, dum, boom, 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 for sure. And Tejano music. Yeah. Or whatever it's called. I don't know. I'm, that's me being small-minded. <laughs> it's it's hard. It's not easy to play in two that fast. It's really not. That gospel music was oh, the same yeah. way. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, oh it's, shit. It's well, like I've a, played, I've, it's a coordination exercise. My grandfather has played music all, all his life, and he plays around the family constantly. And uh, it wasn't until... I, I've been drumming for the last, like, two years. Um... And it wasn't until like last summer, I think he came over and I was like, man, we should like, like record some of the songs. I was like, I actually have like professional stuff. I was like, we should really document the songs you've always played for us and I'll play with you. Nice, and, yeah. uh, and uh, one, found out that he doesn't really know how to keep time, you know. Right. Uh, but two, once, once I listened to the songs that he was playing and I practiced and prepared, realized like we're playing like Besame and um, uh, Volver and like all these other mm, yeah. But, like, but like the the time, like you're saying, the, 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 I mean, it's like there'd be times where like he wants to, I could tell like the way he's trying to play it is like like four over four, but mm. it's like but then he'll speed up in other parts and because right. he's just inconsistent. I'm like, right. what are you? It's really doing? that kind of music's usually like duple. It's one two one two one yeah. two one because if you start trying to think one two three four one two three four, you're gonna have like these pulses where they don't pull. Yeah, up. and it has yeah. to be clap clap exactly yeah. Yeah, it's and really I, hard, and that's what I had to learn and, and get used to. And I think it was like the first ones we did were like kind of rough, and then like by the end of it, I was like much more just used to it. It was literally just me. When you go back to four four though, and you're like, your time is so much better when you've done duple for a while. You know, like I studied gypsy jazz a lot, and you could think of it duple if you wanted to. It's really four four, but it's there's no drums, you know, so it's. You know, like mm -hmm. Django Reinhardt stuff. You know, mm. all those folk musics are like that. You know, it's it's all a European. Like, it, you you really have to think that like, what separated folk music from like academic music was the ability to dance. You know, it's like, mm. even though like the, the most the most famous songs by like Mozart or Beethoven or whoever, those were really or Bach even those were really the songs that people could dance to. Mm. That's why they persisted across centuries. Right. You know. Because they're really academic shit that nobody likes, except for classical musicians, you mm. know. So it's like, um, or academics, and it's like, why does? But why does everybody know like like uh like because it was a dance, you know? Yeah, like all those rondos. Rondo was a dance, you know? Yeah. So it's like, all those kind of things is like. 
so you go back to like these things like well what's holding it all together what's holding rhythm together is the ability of for a lady to shake her butt you know and if 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 it you know he got in trouble for saying it robert glasper chris dave the band chris dave's and the greatest drummer in the world probably mm. right now uh or one of top 10 you know Betty's name is Robert Glasper. Robert Glasper got in trouble because they were like, why is your jazz so much more successful than everybody else's jazz? He's like, oh, because I'm in touch with what's called musical clitoris. And uh, he got in a lot of trouble for saying that, but I know what he was talking about. I was like, it's the same thing Elvis was in touch with. You know what I mean? It's like, if women don't want to dance to what you're doing, it's probably lame. <laughs> <You know? laughs> wow. Another good mo moniker is like little kids. If a little kid tells you your music sucks, mm. it sucks. Yeah. You know, like babies, like I always watch when I'm doing a mix at like the truck yard. Mm -hmm. I watch the babies that are there with their families. Mm. Once the baby starts bobbing up and down, I'm like, all right, he likes it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's good. Let's it's crank good. It up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It is true. Well, it's like uh, um, Kirk Cobain talked about that and how that's how he tried like tried to compose or like with the with Nirvana that it no matter how complex or like how fast they would want to rev things up. He, he was never an advocate for that. He mm -hmm. always wanted it to be simple. Nursery rhyme is what he was saying right. to Grohl. He said all the time. He's like, if it doesn't sound like a nursery rhyme, I don't like it. Louis Armstrong said that, you mm -hmm. know, because he hate, Louis Armstrong did not like bebop. He he has a song that he wrote called No More Bebop. You know? Oh, really? Yeah, because he thought it he thought it ruined music because jazz was popular music and then it became this academic nerd thing, you know, where it's like mm -hmm. only for the elite, you know, and it's like, well, now it's ceased to be popular music. But Louis Armstrong said there's two kinds of music. Music music you go two. That's good music. And he says the other kind's bad music. <laughs> you know. The simple, it's either music or it's noise. Yeah, and so but my point is even classical music. People what about classical? It'll be like all the hits are dances. Mm. You know? Those yeah, are the ones because you know, it's like you want to get the body involved. It's like if you can if you yeah. can move, if you can, like now you're internalizing the sound. Now that eternal thing, that part of the cosmos, which we're like attuned to as human beings, the overtone series and rhythms and circadians and all these things. Sleeping is a rhythm, you know, I forgot to mention that circadian rhythms. Um, you can internalize it into your muscular skeletal architecture. Yeah, you can you express know? it physically. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. and now the electrons are moving up and down your spine like even more in depth and it's like this is cool yeah like you're literally literally becoming the music when you dance yeah you know so it's like all of that this guy used to have teachers who told me not to tap my foot or move when i played and like oh, that is really? such horseshit yeah they teach that some teachers at human t teach that um every great musician i've ever seen moves yeah well, that's what i was gonna say is like most of the musicians i think like i think of when i think of a great musician they're very theatrical they're very right. like in the in the groove yeah exactly and you can tell it's not about though it may have this effect the ones that are doing it authentically are not trying to do it to impress the audience or like get the audience involved they're doing it to get themselves involved yeah you yeah. know and it's like you got to make yourself feel it first yeah. before anybody else will if well, you're not like, feeling it they're not feeling it well, it's like if i'm playing a, if we're if i'm playing a song that i've come up with or like we've built but i want to just uh just solo and come up with a, the the finishing like I don't have a solo for it yet so let's just jam let's just see what I can come up with using the the structure that we've come from it's like when I'm uh, I don't know if we're just if, if I think of how they're thinking about it then I don't really move I'm just right. like oh I'm trying to be so accurate and like right. oh, I'll come down here and I'll right. come back over here and like did I do that last time or what right 
But then if if I if they're just like super in it and I'm not even like you know their or their eyes are closed, they're not even like right. looking at me or whatever. Right. They're just they're just following their time, they're following their flow. Then like that's when like I'll kind of like I don't know that that's where I start I just start doing the same. But I right. have to almost recognize that, like, right? Because especially when I'm, we're working together, like if they're looking at me, I'm just more just more like all right, better be right. But then right. like if they're just in the flow, then I'm in the flow. But I'm I'm trying to be present by thinking that, like being like okay. You're feeling it, so well, just there, let there is it be. a place where like moving can interrupt accuracy, and it's like so you have to literally practice moving. You know, yeah. like oh, yeah. I think it's like I'm not good at it, but I do try to dance whenever I get a chance. You know, and mm. it's like just because it's like I'm practicing moving. Yeah, you know, and it's like well, it's good for you. You know, so there's there's that aspect. Like wow, it's really good for you to accelerate your heart rate and have fun. You mm. know, and release endorphins and smile with your friends. So there's that aspect of it that's cool. And like it bonds you closer to the people you're with. Even if you dance bad, they just like you more because you're hilarious, you know? So it's like, there's yeah. no reason not to dance unless like right. your knees are broken or something, you know, or you don't have legs. Yeah. But even then, man, I see people at my shows that are like in wheelchairs and they move around, you mm. know? So it's, it's like, there's, it. there's not much excuse yeah. other than fear. Yeah, well, and that's Or laziness. You, yeah. Well, Sometimes I don't dance with people because I'm really tired. I'm like, it's too much work. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Well, that's like what you said. I mean, it's, it's, it's a practice. It's like you, you, you practice until it becomes almost instinctual. You know, it's like, uh, do, you, do you know Kevin Davis? Uh, know maybe. Him? Sounds familiar. Uh, did you know Libby Bruner in uh, high school? Libby. Yeah, I knew somebody named Libby. Okay. It's her husband. But anyways. Okay. Uh, he, I had him on the show. He's a musician. Um, and, uh, um, oh, my God. I forgot what I was going to say now. Rhythm, practice music to dance well because I, I was wanting to talk about just how you, you practice something so much to where oh now I remember that becomes almost instinctual we were talking about how many hours you think you've been on you've practiced on your guitar and I was like like it's like he was thinking about it and he's like well it's definitely over 10,000 you're talking about how uh, you know it takes 10,000 hours to master something is like mm. the rough so you really think he's on 10,000 he said I practice guitar about six hours a day and I'm at like 4,000 I've been practicing guitar for like six hours a day since I was 16. I'm 33. Yeah, you know? I mean, we did math. I mean, I, I've yeah. only been playing it for seven years, and I'm I'm a little over 4,000. You think so? Mm -hmm. Practice, not playing. See, playing well, and practicing. No, but, I mean, sitting down with like a metronome going, do, 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 do. Well, no, no, no. I mean, I mean playing it. Like playing? Not, oh, not, dude, playing. I'm like in the hundred. Like, yeah. I do it. I play 40, 60 hours yeah, a not, week. Yeah, not you know? practicing. Yeah. No, no. Just, just wielding it and Yeah, because the 10,000 hour rule is about practice, not about mm. performing. You yeah, know, people get that confused. Like mm. in Outliers, that's from Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell. Mm. It's a great book if you haven't read it. But uh, yeah, the ten thousand hour rule is about practice. Yeah, well, I guess because I don't know some some I don't know, like I guess like playing time, yeah, for sure. But like practicing wise, like yeah, I guess my my would be because I don't know though because like I, I we practice a lot though near each other, like not just like playing off of each other but mm -hmm. like just practicing yeah but again it's, it's like what what defines practice right versus yeah. performing yeah you know and it's like i would say i would say that practice is when you don't you don't do it for anybody except yourself mm. like i don't practice to benefit another person though i might have a long-term goal i want to sure. impress them or something, but like I'm not, when I'm practicing, I don't want spectators. There could be, but it's mm. like, I'm not like selling tickets to watch me practice, right? And well, see, I wouldn't. I, I consider like when we jam, like it's, it is a practice because I'm. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I, can but, I consider that consumption. I do it. Yeah, yeah. But it's the way like I handle, like, cause if I lead, cause I lead right. like most of them. 
It's like I, I, ha I have a strong intention. Like I know exactly what I'm going to be Jamming working on. Jamming to me is the consumption of what you've practiced. Mm. It's the product, right? Yeah. So it's like the the product and like the like the four causes, material, source of motion, blueprint, consumption, right? Form, mm. right? Aristotle. Um, I would say that uh, jamming is a form of consumption. You know, now there can be things created in a jam, so causes can become effects, and effects can become causes of later effects. You know, but it's like the actual act of jamming is I'm just consuming. Mm. I'm saying this is the stuff I've already learned and mastered and let me present it here. Mm. And maybe it's a new format with new people, a new way, but it's a form of consumption. It's important and it's part of the process. But like, I don't consider that shedding is what we would call it. Like in the nerdy musician speak, mm. like shedding means you go in the woodshed by yourself away from other people where they can't oh, hear yeah. you. Yeah. Like practice is like when, uh, oh God, what's his name? Sonny Rollins, right? Yeah probably greatest tenor saxophone player ever lived. So he was on the scene in New York with Bird and Coltrane and those guys and mm. Miles. And he disappeared for five years. And you could find him under the Harlem Bridge every night practicing for five years. He was just under there by himself. He was woodshedding, you know, huh. that's, that's practice. Mm. You know, and he, we call that conquering the dragon. You know, he went under the bridge to conquer the dragon, you know, mm. so it's like, that's the, that's where the 10,000 hour rules applies in my mind is like when you're by yourself working out the problems of yeah. performing and it's like when you're jamming it's a subset of performance because you're performing mm. for the people you're jamming with you know mm. and you're also consuming their information you know right. you're like you're you're both a producer and a consumer in that moment i guess but i just cuz i don't think there's much value in jamming really mm. outside of like social aspects Hmm. Like people call me to jam, I'm like, no thanks. <laughs> I'll come practice with you, which is different, mm. you know, but like jamming, like I will, I'll jam with somebody who's far superior to me because in that aspect, I'm reminded of what I need to do, mm. you know? So it's like, but jamming, most of my life jamming has been a waste of time in terms of being productive, you know, it's uh, because the often we jam, there's no intention. So it's like, it hasn't been a waste of time in terms of enjoyment. Sure. Right. So let me make that clear. Like I enjoy jamming and I do it. I go to these jams all the time and do it. But in terms of productivity, you're really just going there and showing people what you what you practiced, you know. Yeah. So it's like I practice this. Check out this. Oh, I learned this harmony or here's this chord voicing or there's here's this harmony or look at this rhythm. I know or like look, look at this like melodic passion. I came up. I came up with over that, which is like me presenting the products for other people to consume, you know. So, mm, yeah. And it's like. So it's valuable as a social aspect. And, but I don't think old school jam sessions, you used to be able to stop in the middle. Like there's a really cool recording. Stella by Starlight's a really, really, really hard tune to play. It's from like a movie score called uh, The Uninvited, beautiful movie from 1941. Mm. But this tune, it's like really, really fucking complicated. And so you, there's this jam session, you know, like jam sessions took place after gigs, you know, mm. in the old days. And you could learn at a jam session because they took place, they started at two in the morning and they went till eight in the morning, you know? Mm. And so that was a jam session. So, and musicians hung out at them. You went there after your gig to get wasted and do heroin in the back with nobody judging you. And then you get on stage shit face and try out something new you were too afraid to do at the gig, right? Mm. And so there's this recording, like a bootleg recording in a hotel lobby during a jam session, like, you know, it's an empty, shitty hotel. And it's like, somebody stuck in like a tape recorder in the 40s. And it's Coltrane and Dizzy Gillespie and 
uh, Charlie Parker playing Stella, and you could. It's like 1942, so the movie just came out like six months before. So they're trying to learn the tune from the newest movie, you yeah. know, like trying to learn "My Heart Will Go On," you know, so so that they can play it at a gig, you know. Yeah. Like, so some of the changes are really hard. So you hear like Bird like repeat chord changes, even though the rhythm section keeps moving to the new chord changes, because he wants to work out this idea, you know. And then like you hear like Dizzy Gillespie stop him, and he's like, "Hey, hey, hey, hey!" He's like, "What'd you play?" And so, like, the rhythm section keeps playing through the form. And you hear, like, Bird walk over. You're like, F -f 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 -f. he's like, oh, it's like, click, click, click. And you hear, like, his uh, saxophone clacking. You know, uh -huh. he's like, oh, click, 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 click. And then, like, you hear Dizzy on his trumpet, like, and he's like, ah, 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 yeah, yeah. And he's like, and they're like, they're in the wrong spot of the form to be playing that lick, you know? Yeah. And then you hear, like, they're, it's like a jump rope, you know? They're waiting for, like, that yeah, part of the song to come. To come. come and he's like, yeah. And they do it together, you know, and they're like, uh -huh. ah, you hear them go like, ah, you know, yeah. like, so that's a jam that's productive, you know? Yeah. But it's like, mostly when I've been invited to jams, it's like, you know, look what I can do. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> you know, you suck, but cool, man. I'm glad. Like, <laughs> you know, you figured out how to play it four better. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's great, dude. It's like, but. You know, and sometimes, but sometimes there's like, like if I'm having like a bad day or something, and like we can, I can just communicate with any musician on that day, like on a musical level, and so I, I have to come down to where they are, or, or I have to put like if I'm playing with the Badu guys, it's like I have to like really stretch myself and try to like hang on to the ledge that they're on, you know, mm. like oh hey, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I can play in seven, kinda, <laughs> you know, like what was your necro bestiality, yeah, necro bestiality, yeah. and they're like. They're like, that's some white people shit. <laughs> you know, like I'm sure I could swap it out, but I'm yeah. just I'm just dug yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's like, but there's times where like like if someone's just playing like nice minor chords, we're playing like A minor to D minor. And it's like I can just like just let music do its thing to me, you know, or like I'm just a consumer now. Mm. And then it's like and that's enjoyable. And then I can sit and like just play nice melodies or like a cool like counter rhythm to what they're doing. And it's like, but again, that's why I say I'm consuming at that point. Mm. You like, yeah, I'm letting the music like take over me, and and I'm just consuming. I'm enjoying it. You know, yeah. it's like it's just like putting on your favorite record, right? You know, yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah, because I mean, it, I mean, it is. True. I, I've met like two people in my life that have practiced ten thousand hours. That's why, like, when people are like, I've done ten thousand hours, I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> when? <laughs> well, it's like. Yeah, and, I, and that is the inconsistency of like practicing or like or or I play like like having like a jam session with like a, or, or group or, or our band or whatever or or other musicians is like there's times where like it is a real workshop where like what you're saying is like we will like define the backbone of the song like the bassist and the drummer or percussionist whatever we got going on we'll kind of iron that out what that timing's gonna be and then we'll grow on top of that with the you know two guitarists or whatever. Um, and, and there's there's great times where where we'll like what you're saying, what you're describing with 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 the jazz artists is like one of us will just stay focused on that first part because you know it's like I don't remember who I think it was David Gilmore. He said like sometimes like he he believes that like the first little part he tries to add on to a song is really what he thinks it's always going to be. Right. He just becomes obsessed with it and then alters it and just works right. on it until it's done. And he's like, but. I feel like I can always come to it in that first round. Right. And so... Uh, uh, it's called first take magic. Mm, yeah. First takes are often magic. Mm, and, and so with the jams, like there's times where like we're coordinated and we know we're actively working on it and, and the bass back, uh, you know, the, the beat is going and uh, uh, we've established that. I'll put it that way. It's done. 
and then now we're just work we're just riffing back and forth and it's like i don't think your part like we'll we'll get one guitarist down that's good and right. then the other one will just try and add on to it or figure out when to come in and and there's days when it's no like is, is creation practice you know because you could think on some aspect well, practice practice means something has already been created and you're repeating it that's what practice means right Mm. So it's like, but I think I'm think I'm thinking of it more more on like. I'm just, just well, no, I don't no, know. At no, this no, point, I've, I'm drawing it. Talking back. to you about it, like I've lost my own way on this now because <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Is that practice or is it not practice? Well, I don't know. Like one thing I try and do it with a lot of things. Is I just try and see things like super generally, so I don't try and put myself in some kind of box. But like when right. I, like when I think of that, of that, like I think of it as a practice because. I think of it as a communication practice because I have to be able to demonstrate to them. Mm. I have to be able to coordinate them because again, if it's my piece, if like I have this little riff, it's it's it yeah, it, it's in five or whatever, and it's in it's in this chord. And I have to express it. I have to be able to explain it. And so like at least to me, like as someone who's not like a, a professional, let's put it like as that. big of a nerd as me. Yeah. <laughs> well, or just like I don't have as much experience. I mean, literally, right. you know, and and it's like I, that's my that that's my moment to 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 work out the kinks to cut my teeth. But but I probably a majority of the time the people I'm playing with aren't seeing it like that. They're just saying right. like, well, I could do that. Yeah, I could throw that in, and I could see I could play it the exact same way. Someone could lead it, bring me in, and like, yeah, I'm sure I could make it work. But I don't right. like that. I like to have a little more concept in mind when we're right working you know because like what you said i i like magic but i don't like think in magic terms like right. i don't think the magic's just gonna happen it's like we gotta figure out it was it smoke was it mirrors and a string what was going right. on and same thing with music it's like when i hear like what you're saying when i hear the the dusky uh uh, uh, uh ethereal kind of opening of hey joe the first time i heard that without knowing anything about music right it's just like what is that sound you know that's swinging what, yeah but it's like but it feels like magic. It's just like it feels, it feels different. And it's like magic. It's because yeah. it feels it it feels unreal. It feels unnatural. It feels new. And uh, uh, and like what you said, if you're gonna be able to speak the language and work it, it's like you have to be aware of all that it is, and, you know, to be accurate. And so I, I consider some of that practice because there's times where I feel like. Maybe I shouldn't come into this part. Maybe, or or even as a producer, like as a, a, a like that type of mindset of like, maybe we don't need drums. Maybe we don't, you know, like just like, I I consider that just just spinning my mind because like because like I'm a, a media uh, a junkie. I mean, I, right. I, I'll consume music like crazy nonstop. I mean, music literally is like the air I breathe. But when it comes to making it, I I just I I just I. I want to practice. I want to be super careful, mm. and and I, and I always don't think I'm I'm good enough. Like I just always think like there's something else to learn, which is good in a healthy way. But I I just that that's why I see all that as a form of practice. Now like strictly on like guitar, like yeah, like I, I my hours are probably off, like you know, and like exactness of like oh I I went over there for four hours, like right. probably wasn't four hours of practice, it was probably right. like two and a half or right. two. Right. Um, and I've tried to be careful about that. And that's why I say, like, if I'm thinking about, like, genuine practice, like, I'm on that guitar and I'm either practicing it by myself, I'm demonstrating it to someone else, or uh, I'm working on a, a piece, which means I have to know the scale I'm climbing or I have to know the right. progression of something. It's a, some form of practice. Yeah, practice. I can yeah. see that, too. Yeah. I mean, it's a sub. It's a small. It's not like a because I, what what, I get what you're saying. And I agree. Like pure practice like the you and your and your scale or you and, and learning the song or whatever it's like yeah there's something way you and the thing that makes people if they saw you they would think you're crazy 
Yeah. Ever seen Mo Better Blues? Mm-mm. It's about a trumpet player. Denzel Washington plays. You would love that movie. So it's like he has the whole movie is basically about like how hard it is for actual person who's dedicated their life to music to have like a relationship with other people. Mm. It's very difficult actually. And so especially like regular relationships because of scheduling timing. And so like he's trying to date this girl and she calls him and it's like two thirty. He's like, baby, what time is it? She's like, I don't know. And he's like, it's two thirty. He's like, I practice from two o'clock to four o'clock every day. You know not to call me at two thirty. She's like, well, why you gotta be like that? He's like, because I like life. I, I, he's like, I like rules and I like order. And she's like, I like rules and order too, but you're a psychopath, <laughs> you know. And it's like, and so there's this scene where like he damages his lip and so he can't practice with his horn. Mm. And so I've done this before too when I when my hands were on, you know, when my hands were burnt. Oh right. It's like he he like sorry I forget about this. He like sits and he's like. You know, and like he's yeah. just seeing the scales in his head like that because I know enough about the guitar. I can see it. I can hear what I want to, and I know exactly what it is on the guitar, right? Mm. I go, so I go, you know, and it's like I know exactly what that is. And it's like if I hear a car go by, he goes, I go, on my guitar, you know. So it's like that takes a long time to get to but you anybody can get there you know right but it's like i haven't put in ten thousand hours you know and it's like mm. and i can already do that so when people are like i've done ten thousand hours and i'm like beep boop like what interval is that and they're like oh i don't know <laughs> and it's like so yeah doesn't make you third no i was sharp beep boop, beep boop. that was like a fourth yeah but anyways <laughs> my pitch is not great right now but, so yeah. but what i'm saying is like I think there's some aspect where like the practicing is the thing that if people saw you doing it, they would think you're nuts. Mm. Like, because one time my friends wanted to hang out with me and I had to practice guitar that day. Look, dude, just bring guitar and practice with us. And they thought that was going to be like me playing and singing for them. And I was like, okay, cool. And it was like, and I was like, cool. And they're like, what? And I was like, for three hours. Well, they all just sat there in the corner and they're like, dude, you're nuts. And I was like, what do you think practicing was? I was just like playing like fucking Sweet Home Alabama on a loop. Like, what the fuck do people think it is? Like, working out some new chord voices. Like, no, 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 yeah. Like my friend who like I really respect named uh, Benjamin, uh, he lives in uh, Taiwan, but he does all like these music challenges. So he streamed mm. himself practicing for 12 hours, you know, Whoa. and it's like I've practiced for 12 hours before straight without even getting up to go to the bathroom. And like when I finally went pee, I was like, <laughs> I had a bladder infection for like two days, you know, and it was like, <laughs> but because like if you really are a messenger of music and its message or if you're really a part of that religion, you know, like truly a part, like mm. not like an aficionado, but like, like you're like one of its, like trying to be one of its priests or whatever, you know, it's mm. like, it takes you over, man. 
It's like it's like a mild form of autism or something. And like the thing is, when you get done, like you're you'll burn, like like a, like it feels like radiation sickness. You know, it's like like all the electrons and the nerves that have had to send those signals up and down because so many parts of your brain are active when you're doing music. You know, yeah. it's like all that stuff is just like overheated and fried. Like the synapses are just like, and like you're just like, uh, like because when I do a gig, right? Like you do gigs. Not yet. Oh, okay. So, like, my average gig is four hours long. You mm. know, sometimes I do three of those in a day. So, I'll, I'll mm. literally be performing for 12 hours, you know? Wow, yeah. So, one of my guitar students got it good enough where he could gig with me as a rabbi. And he came and sat in and did one three-hour gig with me. And I had two more gigs after that. He's like, dude, I feel, like, crazy, man. I feel, like, like nuts. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I feel like I need to go do drugs now or something. And I was like, yeah. I was like, welcome, welcome. <laughs> I was like, I got two more of these, bye. <laughs> you know? And it's like, it's just like, it's a level of hustle that like people don't understand because mm. most people are frightened to death to get up in front of like 10 of their coworkers and be like, today's PowerPoint is yeah. about graphics and graphics are graphs made of these images I'm pointing at, you know? And they're like, <laughs> you know? And it's like, yeah, go do that for 12 hours a day, you know, yeah. while you're tapping your foot and coordinating like 20 hundred things like this, you know, and yeah. like, and like your drummer's drunk and like he's throwing shit at you and like, you know, the, and the bar's trying not to pay you and like all this stuff. And it's like, and then you get on your car's toad, but you have another gig. You're like, fuck. And you have, like, try all this, you know? And it's like, and then you get home and it's like, nobody cares about you. Like, like if you have a relationship with somebody, they're like, you're never here. You don't ever answer your phone. And it's like, I got to a point with like one girl I was dating. I just started answering my phone on stage because she would call me so fucking much. Her name was Khadija. And I'd be like, hey, everybody, it's Khadija. And I'd be like, talking to them. She'd be like, fuck you. I can't believe you fucking did this to me. You put me. She was African. She's like, I can't believe you fucking put me on the cell phone. And I was like, everybody hears you. And there'd be like 600 people. And then they'd all be like laughing. I'm like, bye, Khadija. I was trying try to teach her not to like, if I'm on fucking stage, I'm not fucking another girl or like ignoring you. It's like, I'm performing for other people. I'm busy. Yeah. I'm clearly not able to talk to you right now. Yeah. So like some, some of my uh, African-American drummer friends, they, uh, they've mastered this thing where they put in, they say they do it to protect their ears. You know, so they'll uh, put in their uh, AirPods. AirPods. Yeah, <laughs> they're talking on the phone the oh whole my time. God. <laughs> like, one time, a drummer I used to play with named Eric. You know, he's playing with my friend Junior, who I introduced him to, and uh, I call him, and it's really fucking loud. I'm like, dude, can you walk outside? He's like, I'm on the stage. I'm like, you motherfucker! I'm telling Junior on you. <laughs> and so the next time he's at my gig, like he starts putting his AirPods, like no AirPods. <laughs> Man, I'm protecting my ears. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's the best. That's yeah. hilarious. Wow, they're skilled though. Well, because <laughs> it's like, if you do it full time, you get to where you can like play giant steps in your sleep. You know, like, it's the hardest song I've ever written, right? It's like, and you can just play it without thinking. You're like, mm, you're in a hotel lobby and nobody gives a fuck that like you're one of the greatest musicians that's ever lived. And you're just like, yeah. and they're like, do you know Wonderwall? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you're like, I do actually. You just keep playing. And they're like, well, you said you know it. I was like, I do know it. <laughs> like, it's not what I'm here to play. <laughs> well, no, I mean, they don't, people are just like, do you know something? And I was like, I know it, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not oh, you, you want me to play, play it? it? Oh, but we have a tip jar. <laughs> hey, what's 
Something's got to give. I'm not a fucking karaoke machine. You don't have an iPhone? I like, have buttons on me. Yeah, just pull your phone out and type in Wonderwall and put it next to your ear. Wonderwall. You know, it's done. <laughs> Fuck, what do you fucking want me to play that for? Uh, now you sound like a real musician. Yeah, pretty jaded. That's why I haven't performed <laughs> since uh, last year. Oh, really? Yeah, I was running. There's the one of the best singers in town. You should have him on the show. Really opinionated, really nice guy, but uh, kind of offensive, which I like. You know, his name's Mike Randall. And so I'm running sound for him at Truck Yard. I mean, he's just like singing his fucking ass off. I was just like, God damn, this guy's great. You know, and uh, nobody's clapping or anything. Nobody's even paying mm. attention. They're all too busy, like drinking like their bullshit IPAs or whatever, and talking about like reality shows. And so and ignoring pandemic guidelines. So and it's like and I'm just like, I go up to him. And he's like, why don't you play anymore, man? I was like, do you ever feel like you're casting your pearls before swine? He's like, no. And as I say this, a guy comes up, and I shit you not. He's like, do you know Wonderwall? <laughs> really? <laughs> I shit you not. And I was like, that's the universe, like, laughing at me. <laughs> cool thing is Mike is such, a, is such a pro. He's like, I do. And he stopped what he was doing and started playing it. You know nice. what I mean? And I was like, cool, man. <laughs> I was like, but fuck that guy, honestly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that seems like the universe telling you something. That's I have to pee really bad. That's cool, Are we done? Man. Or is this? A, yeah, I mean, that enough? How long did I talk? I can keep talking, time. man. Oh, that's man. nothing. It's <laughs> nothing. This might have to Let's be. Let's go get a harder. coffee. Yeah. Normally, when I sit down and talk to you, it's like four hours. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we didn't we I'll didn't hit the full scale because I wasn't full. I take you the didn't. stuff. You know, David Sinclair. Do you know mm -hmm. that guy? Yeah. Yeah. So I take. A, I've been taking AD boosters for like a year now. Mm. I take like two grams of resveratrol. And I take uh, uh, berberine and metformin. Mm. And it's like, you know about that stuff? Mm -mm. But you know David Sinclair? I heard of him, Dr. Yeah. David Sinclair is like yeah. the leading doctor at Harvard on aging. So it's, uh, anyways, oh, the NAD he, he's stuff. He's on some podcasts. I've he's on a bunch of podcasts. Yeah. He's on Joe Rogan like every other week because like. Yeah, that's, that might be He's it. like, uh, but he's on, he's on everybody's podcast. Yeah. Because it's like, it's really nuts what he's figuring out, like what causes aging and all this stuff. But mm. I take these NAD boosters, man. And they really, he says it's like the craziest stuff. It really is. Like, it's like, because your mitochondria and your cell are just like, like whoa you know like they're really working what does it do uh the short version is 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 that the reason we age like you think that new cells are young right new cells are old right new like your, your grandma has lots of new cells right mm. they're just shitty every time a cell splits and replicates it fucks up right yeah. the copy is imperfect that's why you age if you had all your cells that you had when you were five you'd still be fine yeah right yeah so cellular replication new cells are what age you right so um, there's this thing called sirtuins. They're inside the cell and they tell the cell two things. Get insulin, get energy, and divide, right? But when you're not eating, like when you start fasting, what happens is the sirtuins say, oh shit, well, we don't have enough energy. We might not get energy again in the near future, so let's stop dividing. And let's, instead of telling the cell to reproduce and get energy, they go into, the sirtuins re-prioritize uh, themselves. They go into the DNA and start fixing it. Oh. They start fixing the chromosomes, you know, because you have these histone yeah. bundles, the chromosomes become yeah. unwound. And gonna, yeah. yeah. So they go and start fixing it, right? So the number one way they can increase longevity in animal studies is just don't feed them. Now, there's obviously a, a cutoff, malnutrition, right? right malnutrition yeah. and starvation is avoid. You yeah, because like, I know that from like your gut. It's like if you fast for like at least three days, it's like your body doesn't consume any cells it consumes the weakest first right yeah exactly yeah, yeah it's a apoptosis or something but there's a, there's a word for that but mm. um 
Yeah, and so that's great. And it's like, so I don't eat, I only eat from seven o'clock to midnight. Like that's the only time I can eat because I go to bed at like 5 a.m. So it's like mm. the middle of the day for me. So that's the only time I can eat. Um, I follow like a really, really strict paleo diet called the Walls Protocol, where you get your entire RDA of micronutrients from your food. So I have to eat nine cups of greens, fruits, and sulfuric vegetables. If I eat meat, it has to be grass-fed, wild-caught, or organ meat. And mm. then I have to eat healthy fats and all this stuff. So I do that. I take cold baths. Cold baths simulate your body into the survival mechanism where the cells are like, oh, it's really cold. Let's not waste time reproducing cells and getting mm. insulin. Let's just make the cells we have better. You know? mm. And so, so I stay in a ketogenic state most of the day. And I'm also... And then so then I take... NAD is vitamin B3, niacin. That's niacin in my... That's what uh, sirtuins use for fuel. Mm. And you become B3 deficient as you age. Your body becomes unable to produce it as mm. you age. So that's one of the reasons sirtuins become inactive. So then they stop repairing the DNA and that's why you age. So yeah. if you take a bunch mm. of NAD, the sirtuins continuously stay active. And then you constantly tell them to repair cells by fasting and so they repair cold fast. instead of replace. Exer- that's how exercise works. You know, like now doing a ton of exercise and then eating like 20 million calories to grow muscles is different than the yeah. way exercise yeah. really works. Um, that's like a form of like body dysmorphia. It's like, why do you want to look like a gorilla right now? Like, I don't understand. Like, well, yeah. You look great, you know, like. Yeah, but basically you're saying it repairs instead of replaces. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas like the guys who really become bodybuilders, see they're actually aging faster. Right. Because remember aging is new cells. So they're like constantly turning over new yeah. cells. That's why they start losing their hair and they get all these bad wrinkles yeah. and stuff, you know? Yeah. Because they're telling their body new, 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 new. So it's like each time it replicates, it's like less effective. Wearing it out. Yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy. So. Anyways, ever since I've been on that kick, it's like my brain is like in a different place. It's like, because I don't drink or do anything, I occasionally do DMT, but it's like there's no long term side effects to that that I know of. So if you can get serotonin sickness, so hmm. I'm really depressed all the time. So I don't, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> I used to be. That really should have you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it sounded I'm like just going to pee right here. We'll keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, man. I mean, is there anything else? To you? Is there anything you're working on? Anything publicly? Uh, you can find me on Spotify. It's just Kettner. I have one song. It's about, it's really confusing. It would confuse people if I explained it. But it's called Hotep Rock. A Hotep is like a black supremacist. Like they're the guys that think that like mm-hmm. they're all descendants of Egyptian pharaohs. Right. Well, it's crazy because there were only like 500 pharaohs. Right. So, yeah. And there's a lot of African-American people and none of them lived in West Africa. But okay, sure, you're the descendant of the pharaoh who owns slaves. You know, like, there's a good history to have, right? Yeah. It's just really stupid. Mm. And so I I figured it out. So I was arguing with this guy at the Freeman. Um, he's what you would call a hotep, right? It was like, it's like it's like the Ankh-right, you know, instead of the alt-right, oh, right, like yeah. Ankh-right. Like, like, I'm an Egyptian. And it's like, okay. <laughs> why would it matter even if you were, mm. right? Like, why it doesn't make you a good person because your ancestors were Egyptian. And like, that's a form of racial theory. You're being a racist right now. Like, I have the same skin color of someone good. It doesn't mean right. you're good. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, and there was this white supremacist. There's this guy there named Trey. He's like hardcore white supremacist and like pisses me off. And he always comes up to me. He's like, you don't think your intellect has anything to do with your European ancestry at all? And I'm like... I'm in a place called the Freeman, named for freed slaves, the freedmen who beat the, who built Deep Ellum. I'm sitting next to a picture of Louis Armstrong, and I'm listening to a jazz band play that's all black while I eat Cajun food. And you're literally coming here and be like, you don't think you're European? Answer is like, dude, wrong venue. Like, Every genius I know is black, so like, leave me alone. You know, so 
that guy found his way. It was like the law of the universe, right? Found his way to the Hotep guy, who I won't name because he's pretty notable in the music scene. But they found each other and started arguing about how black people are better, how white people are better. Like, mm. And both using like the same kind of like bullshit racial like propaganda of why their skin color makes them good yeah, or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. But then they like stumbled onto the same concept. They both hate Jews. You know, and I love Jews. I work with rabbis all the time. I did my first recording project was a Jewish record, you know, of mm. 1700s Hasidic music. Mm. And so they're like, oh, yeah, the fucking Jews, like, blah, like all this anti-Semitic shit. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And so I realized what unites like racist, white supremacists, black supremacists, whatever, is male fragility. You know, it's like men that are not doing well. It's like some kind of mm. like they feel emasculated. They feel da da da. And so like being part of a group, a group identity absolves them of the need to develop self-esteem. They can yeah. develop a pseudo self-esteem. And so I wrote the song Hotep Rock. It's based on like that idea, you know, that incel guy who like filmed himself in his Mercedes like, oh, you fucking bitches, you fucking cunts won't have sex with me and I would treat you like a fucking queen. You know, have you seen that guy? Yeah. He's like the leader of the incels. And then he got in his dad's Mercedes and ran over all these women in LA and then like oh, drove off whoa. a bridge and died. Yeah. It's a real thing. Yeah, wow. he like filmed himself. Like the speech Good is horrific Lord. and horrifying, but it's also like, dude, you suck. You know, so yeah. um, the theme of the song Hotep Rock, it starts off, a guy's an Uber driver in LA and he's like an incel, slat, he's half black, half white. And his like one side is white supremacist and one side is like a black supremacist, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, it's really nuts. This is how my brain works. So the song is like, man with them playing in the unstable taxi, shooting guns at the shooting stars. So it's like, he's got a gun and he starts shooting celebrities. Like he sees them on the street and just starts mm. killing them, you know? And then um, he like runs away. He's like, oh shit, I'm gonna go to jail, right? So then he goes to Mexico in the second verse, right? And when he's in Mexico, he sees a spaceship crash, right? And these two aliens get out and they're like, hey man, like you're you're the guy who's supposed to help us. And he's like, what the fuck? They're like, yeah, we came here. Like you're like the, you're like our transport transporter. You're supposed to like mm. take us on this mission. He's like, what the fuck? And so he's like, well, like, what's going on? And so then the bridge section is from the aliens perspective. The entire universe is just a dream and their king's head. And it's a really bad dream that he's having. Like, so the, the guy is supposed to be like Brahma, you know, like mm. the whole universe is just Brahma thinking like mm. all things are impermanent, all things are impermanent that created the universe, right? So, mm. um, it's like, okay, so the entire universe, all these things we're dealing with, racial, blah, 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 men and women, like sex, gender, all this stuff, it's like doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of the universe, right? Because it's all just a dream in this dude's head. And so these aliens are there. The dude, so this is all relates to incels. This dude's an incel from another dimension. He has to go into our dimension because the king won't let him marry the princess until he solves the riddle of this guy's dream, you know? So then, like, the bridge is like, Oh, the sweet princess, she says she'll never marry me, me. Right? Like, that's the bridge section, mm. right? And then the last section is, like, what I realized, like, Trey and this other dude were my friends. They're no longer my friends. And it's like, uh, I realized, like, like, uh, I lost both of them as friends and they were close friends because, to me, it was a betrayal of principle, you know, mm. which is, like, unforgivable to me. It's like, you can betray me like you forgot to show up or something or did it, yeah. but a betrayal of, like, deep principles. And it's like, those guys betrayed my principles. So that's what the last verse is about. You know, so it will probably never be on Kiss FM. <laughs> but. Nice. It's, it's new? Yeah. Uh, it came out, like, uh, March 11th, like, the week before lockdown. So that's oh, why okay. I didn't do any promotion on it. Oh, gotcha. Then I did a cover of uh, Charlie Crockett's A Stolen Jewel, and it was going to mm. come out in May. That song's, like, about how much white people suck. 
Mm. It's like, white man is trading land and gems, going down that river again, he's going down. White man, he got himself a disease, taking everything he please, he's going down. He's going down, 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 down. So I covered that tune, you know? Mm. But I made like real big production, because Charlie's just like him in a banjo. Yeah. So I did like all big out, all out production. And I was gonna release that on May 5th, and that's the day George Floyd got killed. Um. And I was like, uh, this will be really exploitive, you know, to like, mm, for me, a white guy, like, uh, like, so I just haven't even released that, you know, mm. so. Maybe anyway. sometime soon. And then I got, we shut down our studio in May, then all this happened, I got into a fire, and then all this, so. So you're on the way. I'll be back out there again soon. Yeah. I, I'm on a skill battle. Mm. I'm just, yeah. I'm improving. Yeah. You're uh, talking a lot. <laughs> talking a lot of shit. It's your Rocky montage. It's your yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to take time off. You know, it's it's like yeah. this is like my uh, like Sonny Rollins under the bridge in Harlem. Mm. You know, five, he disappeared for five years. But where the fuck is Sonny? They're like, he's going to that bridge. And he's like, you know, like, like oh, yeah. that guy's crazy. <laughs> well, he got to be some kind of crazy to see things a little different. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think well, that's cool, man. Well, I'll check out that song. Yeah, I should have sent it to you before, huh? Yeah. I'm bad at this. <laughs> it's all right, I enjoy dude. this, man. Yeah, I like your company. Awesome. You have a great husband. Thanks for your patience. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty great. Yeah, you're fucking, your whole family's great. I like everybody in your family. Thanks, man. Yeah. I like them, too. I'll keep them. Thank you for listening. For more episodes, visit our website, musicmythpodcast.com. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Goodbye.